Hi everyone, welcome to Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron, a podcast that uncovers the hidden heroes and untold stories in the world of healthcare. I am your host, Dr. Rona Odigbe, or Dr. Ron for short, and I'm excited to take you on an insightful journey behind the curtains of the healthcare industry. I'm a medical doctor with a postgraduate degree in clinical anatomy and another in health informatics. I'm interested in healthcare technologies, innovation, patient care, informatics, and health content creation. In this podcast, we delve deep into the lives of healthcare workers, shining a spotlight on the dedicated professionals who work tirelessly behind the scenes to deliver exceptional care to patients. While doctors and nurses often take the center stage, there are countless unsung heroes who play critical roles in ensuring the seamless functioning of the healthcare system. From the skilled medical laboratory scientists and technologists who analyze samples and provide crucial diagnostic insights, to the compassionate medical social workers who offer support and guidance to patients and their families, we explore the multifaceted and essential contributions of every member of the healthcare team. Join us as we share stories of resilience, innovation, and teamwork that drive the heart of healthcare. We'll talk to healthcare administrators who navigate the complexities of managing a hospital efficiently. And we'll hear from healthcare researchers who are at the forefront of groundbreaking medical discoveries. Our podcast goes beyond the clinical aspects of healthcare as we shed light on the challenges and triumph of healthcare workers during the pandemic and beyond. We will discuss the mental and emotional toll of the profession and how these dedicated individuals find strength in the face of adversity while not overlooking those individuals who have pivoted into the non-clinical areas of healthcare and still contributing their quota to healthcare delivery. Behind the scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron is not just a podcast. It's a tribute to those who work diligently behind the scenes, often without recognition, to improve and save lives. Each episode will inspire you, leaving you with a newfound appreciation for the unsung heroes shaping the landscape of healthcare. If you're curious to explore the passion, commitment, and innovation that go into delivering quality healthcare, this podcast is for you. So tune in to Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron and be a part of the conversation that celebrates the relentless spirit of those who make healthcare possible. It is my hope that with this podcast, we will shed light on these areas, improve patient care, and hopefully inspire the next generation of healthcare professionals, one conversation at a time. Subscribe now and join us on this enlightening journey through the art and soul of healthcare. Yeah, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. And today's um, show is brought to you by Momentum Healthcare. And uh, we are going to be discussing the topic surviving medical school and career opportunities for healthcare professionals. So we are actually doing this on the Twitter space, but I decided to do it live at the same time. So if you're watching and you've got questions to ask, please use the chat button. I'm always here. I'm watching and we'll take your questions as we go. So I'm just waiting for more people to join in on Twitter space. So most of the time I'll be looking down. I mean, I'm not ignoring you guys, but I'm just looking at the space and trying to moderate because I'm one of the moderators for today. So you just uh, bear with me, right? So maybe in the next one, two minutes, we will kick off. So, Hi, Ron. Do you think it's a bit best for us to start? I mean, others can join. It is recorded and they can join. And, yes. Um, 
I was yeah. gonna say that. So I guess we can just kick off. Others will join up since it's recorded and they can catch up. Uh, John, I just sent you an invite, so please accept. You're one of the co-hosts or moderators, so what do they call them? Anyway, that's fine. <clears throat> So, we have here now. Um, yeah. All right. So, good evening, everybody. I trust we're having a great evening. And yes, it's VB Niger final and a lot of competing interests. But again, we have to do what we have to do. So, this space is brought to you by Momentum Healthcare. And uh, we're going to be discussing surviving medical schools and career opportunities for healthcare professionals. So I'll probably just give um, <clears throat> Doc the mic for a few seconds for you to just tell us why this space, how it's going to be, and uh, then we'll take it up from there. Over to you, Doc. Yeah, so thanks. So I think this this happened um, about two weeks ago, I guess. I mean, I was at work, and then I sat down, and <clears throat> after having a good time, with my with my colleagues and my superiors, I just asked myself, okay, what's going on? I had to I had like a flashback and then I asked myself, okay, I mean I went through a lot in med school um for very obvious reasons. And um at that time I was also battling with a lot. Um I think I was thinking I was not good enough and everything, but I fought those 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 thoughts off and um of course, when I graduated, I, I I I really fought for my life, and then I just wanted to just share my 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 story. You know, I mean, verbatim, and many will not come up to say, "Oh, he had a receipt in med school," and so on. Yeah, and then I shared, and surprisingly, I mean, the whole thing went viral. And then I was having a lot of requests from students, from doctors, both on Facebook, on on here on X, and people even went as far contacting me on LinkedIn, checking my profile first of all to see if it is true or something, right? So I just took myself, okay, maybe it's time to to come up and maybe share some of this insight with people. And I mean, like I'm I'm really out there. I'm, I'm not the WHO Secretary General or the richest person. I'm just barely an average, right? Doing doing well for myself, right? But I just thought it would be nice to share um, in a collective way to, to people. So that's why I also reached out to other um, doctors and, and, and people in, in this space who have done well for themselves too, right? To just for us to talk and to discuss. Yeah, so that's the reason why we're having this. And it gives me so much joy that um, many of us are here to listen and um, also to learn from each other. Yeah, so that's, that's the background. Thank you so much. You know, it's interesting when um, you know people reflect and think. Yes, they they really need to give back in you know whatever small measure they can, and it's a good initiative, really. So that's why I jumped on when you actually messaged me. So without that uh, further ado, so we have. Um, I'll just briefly introduce our speakers for tonight, and um, I'll still pass the mic to them to you know tell us about themselves because they know themselves better than we do. And the way it's going to run, so we have two major segments. We have the surviving medical school segments. Then we talk about the various opportunities that lie in the healthcare space, bearing in mind that um, everything does not end in the hospital or in the bedside. So I think that's where most people's interests really lie. So first, in no particular order, we have Dr. Pepo. He's here. 
So he's a UK trained family medicine physician and GP and has a specialization in women's health and also has a postgraduate degree in reproductive medicine. So thank you, Dr. Pepo, for coming on the space. We also have Dr. Kelechi Okoro, popularly called Dr. Kel or Health Athena. So she's a multi-award winning brand dedicated to promoting health literacy and healthier choices among uh, people through engaging and relatable content. So she's our, our guy in the health content uh, creation space. Thank you, Dr. Kel, for turning up. Then you have Dr. Shade Paul, who is in the clinical research space. So she's licensed to practice both here in the UK and here in, uh, also in Nigeria. So I currently works as a clinical medical advisor, one of the biggest um, agencies in the world. So. Thank you, Dr. Shadi, for coming. Then there is Dr. John, who is supposed to be my co-host tonight. I don't know where he is. So <clears throat> he's currently doing his residency in um, anesthesia. He's also an entrepreneur with endeavors you know, aimed at helping early medical career professionals, especially around content creation, social media management. And he runs In Culture Agency. I uh, hope he comes back to this space. And uh, we have Dr. Shino Olushino. I don't know if it's here. I hope he is. So also known, people know him as more as the bearded Dr. Shina, who you know currently in residency training in internal medicine and you know, does a lot of health influencing. And um, will I leave Barido to introduce himself? Well, he's a healthcare strategist, thought leader, and life coach. So I'll just leave it at that. And who again have I missed? Have I missed anybody? No, I've not missed anybody. And myself, um, my name is Dr. Rod. And uh, yes, I'm a medical doctor. I think that's where I'll stop for now. So without wasting time, Dr. Pepo, I'll just start with you. Sorry for putting you on the spot. So I'll just pass the mic to you to just give us a brief introduction about yourself. If you can get the mic, I've passed you the mic. Um, let me see. I hope any everybody can hear me. Let me see. All right, thank you. For, yep. Over to you, Doc. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good evening, Don. How are you? I'm good. 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 Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, um, Doctor Baldwin. Good evening. Yeah, Dr. Carol, good evening, everyone. Dr. Four last day. Right. So, um, so I guess it's just to introduce myself, right? Absolutely. All right. Um, there's really nothing much to say. My name is Pepo. Uh, actually, Douglas Yellow Pepo, but I like to be called Pepo. I like my surname so much. Um, I'm from Port Harcourt. Um, yeah, I work here in the UK. Um, my journey to medicine actually started from uh, from i would say secondary school just like so many people i just wanted to be a doctor i just wanted to help people um yeah and ben carson spoke also gave us a false illusion <laughs> and, and i mean just attracted a lot of us to, to medical practice but uh it's been fine so far so um so i went to i did my first degree in human anatomy for university of post harcourt um and I was lucky to get the required score 
to transfer to. Uh, what happened was I just didn't want to. I did my first jump to get into medicine, but it didn't work out. But at that point, I did jump for both medicine and uh, muscle engineering. Then um, I didn't want to stay at home. Since that didn't work out, I said, no, I might as well go into something else. So I did human anatomy for four years. And then I got the two one to get you into medicine direct entry. So I went to University of Calabar. And then I did medicine for five years because I started from second year. And then um, whilst I was in medical school, I knew I was, I was going to practice abroad, to be honest. Um, so I was making all the inquiries and everything just to make sure that I get my acts together. So uh, I went straight to my state, River State, to do my house job. And immediately after house job, three months after, I left for the UK side to even the youth service because I already did youth service after my first degree. And yeah, I came into the UK and I worked in so many places. I did a resident medical officer job in private hospital for about 18 months. I worked in general surgery for another six months in London. Um, worked in Austin Guyana for another 18 months and I was A&E registrar for almost a year as well. And at that point, I wanted to go into uh, obstetrics and gynecology training. Uh, but before this time, I came into the UK basically to do my master's in reproductive medicine, science and ethics from the University of Kent in Canterbury. And all those was also because I was pursuing the Ops and Gynae dream. And um, so that was what led me to work in Ops and Gynae because you hear a lot of stories and people tell you how it's difficult to to work as Austin Gynae in the UK, litigation and all of that. But I just wasn't faced and I just wanted to try it and see if it's something I would like uh, because uh, impression is different from reality. They say experience is the best teacher, but I don't think so. It only filters impression from realities anyway. So um, having worked in Austin Gynae for a while, uh, I tried to do the exam to get in. But at the same time, I did because, you know, in the UK you can do... Uh, one exam to get into multiple specialties. So I also did exams to get into uh, general practice, which is family medicine. And yeah, I got the general practice straight on. I got the offer straight. For Opson Gani, I was appointed, meaning I had to be on the waiting list to wait for other people who did better to decline so I can get a spot. And at the end of the day, I got something in Scotland and I wasn't ready to leave. I mean, I just like London and all of that. So I just wasn't ready to leave to go to Scotland. So I decided to go into uh, general practice. And to be honest, I would say it's the best decision I've made because it's given me the kind of life I actually wanted. I probably would have been uh, something else if I wasn't, okay. not, not to berate the discipline, but I think I like where I am right now. Yeah, so I did uh, my training in, the, uh, in a couple of hospitals in East of England. And yeah, I finished training two years ago, and ever since then I've been working as a family uh, general practitioner, which is what's called in the UK, but family physician. So I'm a locum GP in the east of England, and yeah, so far it's been good because the discipline is quite a rewarding one and quite flexible, and it gives you time to do other things that equals your fancy. At least it gives me time to engage in social, um, social media, to... Um, you know, um, do my business because I also uh, run business and got special interest in uh, finance. Um, and also clinically, I have special interest in women's health. So yeah, that is it for now. I think as we go on, 
will probably have to dive a bit more into uh, other things that will probably get people inspired uh, with our journey. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Pepo. That's quite an insightful introduction. You know, you saw the lights early and uh, you jackpot very early. And uh, over to you, Dr. Kel. Just tell us about a bit about yourself and your journey. Okay. Um, hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Sorry, this might be a little noisy, but I just have to do this from my look, my current location. I'm, re- I'm from Ebony State. Yeah, I call myself the Ebony B. I spent it less in medical school <laughs> because of because there was a lot of strife. school, so um, of course medical school was traumatic. Anyways, I left medical school and I have held just one job um, since I graduated in 2014. Actually, I haven't ever um, applied for any job, right? I I did my internship at 445 Hospital Ikeja. And then I was posted to Kogi State to serve. I was posted to the government house, and um, after serving for one year, I was retained. And I worked there for about six years. But while I was working there, even before I started working there, I already started my brand, the health attainer, because I was very sure that I didn't wanted to do. I didn't sorry, I didn't want to do clinical medicine. I remember one time they were asking. Um, they were asking us in school, I think my pediatrics lecturer, what do you want to, what, what residency do you want to go for when you graduate? And then everybody was saying, you know, nephrology, anesthesiology, and all the big, 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 big departments. And I blatantly and boldly said, I'm never going to do residency. And he said, well, I don't know what you're doing in medical school. You should be an entertainer. And I told him just from the top of my head, sir, I'm going to do the both of them. I didn't know that what I was going to do then, but I just knew that I was just not going to, you know, uh, going to residency. And then while I was doing my uh, internship, I actually um, thought of the brand Health Athena and I decided to start, start that. So even while I was in Kogi, as the Kogi State uh, State House, got my house physician, I already started my brand and it was, you know, it was thriving. And then, you know, in less than a year, it was already a thing and I kept on, you know, Pushing my health attainer brand, I started as a content creator, and then I evolved into having my own NGO, having my own consulting firm, uh, becoming a brand ambassador for global brands, public speaker, mentor, uh, event host, and everything that I do. Right? I am still practicing medicine. When people say, "Oh, why don't you practice medicine anymore?" And I'm like, "Hey, I'm the health attainer. I'm practicing medicine. Health education is practicing medicine. Everything that I do is towards, you know, encourage towards ensuring better health practices and better health care for my patients, my clients, and everybody who needs health care. So I am still practicing medicine. I keep telling people that uh, medicine is not just clinical. So I literally practice medicine beyond the white box. That's what I call it, the clinic, the white box. So I think that's a bit about me, <laughs> so that I don't talk for too long, so other people can introduce themselves. So yeah, by the way, the only, the only um, certificate I have is my MBBS, uh, but I have done so much with it. I have shared stages with my chiefs, with people like Dr. Pepo, Dr. Dr. Ron, and, you know, amazing global... Uh, leaders in the health space yeah so i hope that encourages somebody out there thank you 
All right, thank you, uh, Dr. Kel. That was quite insightful. And it's good to also note that I think uh, that most of us are on social media today, making money in different areas is actually because of her. So thank you for that. Uh, I'll quickly pass to John. John, you're up next. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your journey. All right, so good evening, everyone. Um, always a pleasure to be on these spaces, um, which, I mean, people that I've worked with, and I'm very happy to be acquainted with the title of the space is Surviving Medical School and Career Opportunities. And um, as a bit of background, um, I'm full, like I'm a full-time clinician, quote unquote. I mean, currently in residency training, so that's my first identity. Um, senior residents in both in the West African College and Medical College in anesthesia. Um, but aside that, I mean, a lot of the other, like um, Dr. Ron said, um, health Athena and a couple of the things that she has done and inspired amongst her works is the reason a couple of us are making money from the online space. So outside my full-time clinical practice, a couple of other things um, from Twitter, social media management, healthcare consulting, it's really a range of things. I'm going to keep my part very short because as everyone can see, I'm one of the co-hosts and we will have a lot of these conversations. It's going to be a very good evening. So in a nutshell, um, I graduated medical school Oh, around seven years ago. I mean, when you think of <laughs> interesting how time flies, <laughs> it's not okay, but interesting stuff, you know, is um, straight out of medical school, I got into residence. Straight out of medical school, obviously, did my one year internship. Interestingly, that's the only time I did practice medicine. I didn't quote unquote practice in the white box medicine like Kel put it. Um, dabbled in health tech, digital marketing worked for a few companies, like generally did practice medicine outside the hospital. And then after the youth service, I decided to go back into training. So I've been in training since then. But like I said, I'm still grateful for the experience that um, youth service granted me to access the many opportunities that doctors have outside the white box. So um, welcome to the space. Thank you for joining in. And it's definitely going to be a good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thanks, John, and um, for that quick and short intro. Uh, Shadi, you're next. Over to you. Brief intro about yourself and your journey. Hi, everyone. Good evening. It's very nice to be sharing with everyone. Um, I'm Fala Shadi Olupemi Paul. Uh, you know, I'm a clinical medical advisor these days, but primarily, obviously, I'm a doctor. I think I've been in love with medicine before I ever knew how much of a jealous lover it was. I think I was about four years old when I started making very conscious plans to, <laughs> to go into this life. So um, I'm very happy for where it has brought me and the people that it has brought me to. Um, you know, first child, some people say that when you're firstborn and you're female, they tend to put you in this position of a carer very early and all that. So maybe uh, when when people had scripts when we were young, I would care for them. I would help out with the burns. I was very science, you know, um, 
involved as well. I was, you know, I was a, what they call them, like prefect in secondary school. I was head of jet school. So I really just, I knew I was going down that science, that old science pathway. And I loved that. And I, you know, I really tried to do my best with it. Finished the school at about 13, got into university way earlier than I showed up. I was about 15. <clears throat> When I got into University of Lorient, I had, and I got in for medicine, and it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible not because I didn't like it, but because I was way too broke to concentrate on academics. Um, I come from very humble beginnings. People see me now, they think I, I, I was born, you know, I was born into money, but you know how it is when your father dies young. I was about eight when my father died, and you know how it is when they take everything from me in the family and all of those things. So I wasn't born. I was. I didn't grow up in wealth. In fact, we're homeless at a point. And so it was really tough going to university, young girl. I was very distracted. But um, I, I had friends who were very protective, actually, as well. But even with that, I had the very first relationship I got into, you know, it, it was kind of abusive. And and that was very scary for me. And then I found out it was involved in cultism. So I ran back to my mommy and I confessed. <laughs> and then I just, I just uh, you know, I had to get out of there to get safe. So I'm thankful that it didn't take too much time, even though that was about three years. But fortunately, since I got into school early, I was able to leave early as well and, and you know, pack my bags and decide to start again. So I took jump again and I got into the University of Lagos, fortunately for me. But at that time, my mother was pissed <laughs> and she refused to sponsor the education. So I had to sponsor it myself. So I had the further challenge of now doing medical school uh, on my own money. But I was determined to do it. And so I think anybody, this is for people out there who I know that they've recently increased fees and all of that. And it's a very hard time for people. But I was flying back from Mautu and the rest of those places all the way into Kotonou and buying slippers and selling them and going to Baluku and selling bras and on the way to the hostels a lot of people know this so it was not really easy but it's achievable it's doable and you just need a bit of support and so that was that was how I went through medical school and it was hard uh, you know but fortunately you know I, I, I the same hundred level I got into University of Lagos I met my husband and so that was very helpful. I, I was able to get a support system from him. And and we've been together. And, and yeah, as somebody mentioned, time really does fly. I'm realizing now that I've been fighting for 10 years. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, it, it's been a very been a very interesting journey how, how we all change and shift along the line, both developing as doctors and really as people. Um, finishing, going to medical school, it was really hard, obviously. But then I got married in 400 level. We was just... I remember being very confused and I'm wondering what I was trying to do with my life and why I was looking for complications where it was already hard enough. But I really just, I was just going with it and just trying as best as possible to balance having a life and having this passion for this, you know, medicine. But because of the kind of peculiarities of my life and how my life was just already very full and complex, I knew that I couldn't practice in the traditional sort of setting what was just happening was nobody seemed to be able to tell me how to practice outside of a hospital, how to love medicine and be a doctor and work and achieve all the things that I want to do and help people and not practice within a hospital or do residency. I examined each of those specialties and it just didn't seem to be one that was a very good fit for me at that time. And But then, I, I mean, I had to get a job. So we finished medical school, went for service, got a job. And I was fortunate. I, I got to work in, you know, Avon Medical Practice. And coincidentally, Apropo Doctor used to, used to work there. And we became very good friends. We had similar interests, you know, got to meet his wife. It was a very good time. So before he even got married. And 
I remember we would bring in cameras into the hospital and we would shoot these videos. And, and so, yes, watching him succeed, in fact, has been a, quite a pleasure because it's testament to how much consistency and hard work really does pay. And, and we would do that. And, and then I started a blog and then somebody bought my blog. <laughs> And it was it was just very um it was a very interesting sort of so I've been in content creation then since medical school in different ways sometimes writing sometimes making videos sometimes public speaking, and it's been very very um you know rewarding. Um, with question, I question specialties and got started to work. I also was trying to, you know, finances are very important and they don't pay us that well. So there was a part where I also started to look at um, <laughs> the club journey. And, and you see, that's the thing where if you don't really know what to do, just keep doing something because eventually I keep saying what you want to do. I keep looking for what you're looking for because sometimes eh, everything clicks at a point where you don't, you don't know where it's going to click, but it all just clicks at some point where all of the work that you've done in the past and all of the interests that you have start to just align and come together in this perfect picture and you're in this great place and you don't even know how you got here and you're on this space telling people and you're like, ah, I'm just trying to live my best life, you know, I'm just trying to balance everything that's going on. Um, so in the middle of all of those things, I did write club and and I did get, um, you know, the 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 whole club pathway thing done with and started working. But I'm still in Nigeria. I'm still working from Nigeria. And I think later when we get to exploring pathways, I'll be sharing more about how I am getting licensed and I'm still in Nigeria and I am still working and, and having a great time. So there are more, there's more than one path. I'm very thankful for the people along the line that have given me opportunities, you know, from Amin Baladi Bakin, who is a phenomenal person, to Dr. Epo, who hired me when I really didn't even know anything I was doing. So it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities that are out there. And let's just let's just say that some of the things that helped me the most, you know, on this journey through medical school and really just helped me to survive it and and to find my feet is my friends, you know, having great friends who really understand where you're coming from, understand the that is, and don't laugh at you when you make mistakes and when you fall. Uh, family, you know, the fact that I have children and I cannot show them my results and show that I failed. So it was a big push for me, you know. And then writing, and I think I mentioned blogging earlier. So writing, creating content, putting out the things that I that I'm going through out there. I find it very rewarding because it it. You find a tribe. As I said, you know, I met I met Apoko Doctor and then from there I met John, I met Kelechi. And it's it's been good because these have become some of the people that are most important to me on, on my journey, both publicly and privately. And and then every little thing I'm trying to do, you get a lot of support. I'm supporting them and it's very rewarding to have that in your corner. So even if we didn't have it in medical school or you don't have it at home. Sometimes you find your tribe on the internet, and and I think that's really great. So I think that's enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Doctor Shadi. And um, I think for me, what I took away from this short story is, I mean, no matter what happens, just keep moving, and never stay stagnant. Well, we'll still come back to that. And everyone, if you're just joining, we are talking about surviving med school and career opportunities for healthcare professionals. And this is brought to you by Momentum Healthcare. And if you know anybody who you think is going to benefit from this space, please just share the link to them and uh, let them join. So over to you, Dr. Shina, bearded Dr. Shina, uh, give us a brief intro about yourself and your journey. Okay. All right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, quick mic check. Am I very audible? Loud and clear. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. My name is um, Shina. 
uh, well, I graduated from the University of Ibadan. Uh, currently, uh, um, I'm a resident in internal medicine. And um, apart from internal medicine, like, well, I'm sure when we get to the questions of the journey, I might be able to expatiate more, but I'll just give an overview because you just said, let's get to meet you. So outside of being a resident, um, I made a foray into the health tech. So currently, I'm a CEO of a multi-million company in Nigeria here, where this is a men's health startup, which has been doing very, very well. Um, I also currently sit on the board of some health companies. Um, I'm also into content writing, so I have endorsements with a couple of brands where I write, review content um, for them. And yeah, I'm also into politics. So currently, I'm the um, head of new media for um, NMA, Oakland State. Um, I'm also into, um, let me just put it up, into also growing um, content creation. So, um, I, well, I've worked with a couple of people in Iran, which I provide Daron, Dr. Chilechi, I think. Um, I think Splastos are some of the people, and Dr. Um, Dr. Afam also, and a lot, a lot of people in the content creation um, content creation space. Um, I think that's just a brief um, introduction about myself. Yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah, and I just add also, and um, I also, um, apart from the whole startup thing, which I'm into also, I'm, I also, uh, let me say, help people. Currently, I'm trying to like teach people that are interested in this um, health content creation journey. So um, I have a couple of groups where we kind of, I kind of like host sessions where we talk about, you know, how to build your brand, mastering the health space and becoming a health influencer. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks, um, Shino, for that quick, um, you know, intro. Uh, we'll still get back to you. And, um, you know, it's the multi-million part that interests me. That's the part I'm looking out for. And, uh, <clears throat> well, I guess it's over to me now. I mean, I'm not a fan of um, talking about myself because my own journey, it's, uh, it wasn't straightforward. So finished med school, you know, started looking for residency. Residency was not forthcoming you know, traveled all of this country looking for medicine. Is it Benin? Is it Uniport? Is it uh, Shagamu? Is it um, Nayut? Is it UNN? Where didn't I go to? And I told somebody that I think I should write a book about the hustle for residency that never materialized. You know, writing primaries, both colleges, you have them, and you're begging everybody, give me pathology. It's not, I wasn't even looking for the serious department. You know, they call pathology for serious. I say, okay, let me just go and chill in pathology yet. That wasn't forthcoming, you know. But after that, I moved on, you know, doing the normal medical officer work and um, got into content creation by the side. And being a very curious person, uh, I think that's when I got interested in, you know, things around electronic health records, because where I used to work, I think they were designing their own building from scratch. And, you know, I got involved with the dev guys, you know, that's when we started talking, I started understanding all there is to it. And hopefully, or luckily down the line, that is what I'm doing now. So I'm currently working as a business analyst uh, and junior project manager, sort of, and um, implementing um, electronic patient record systems and digital dictation systems. So uh, that's really what I can say about myself for now. And I hope that's succinct enough. Then um, I'll just pass to our convener 
to give us a short intro about himself, then we'll move into the first um, topic for the day. Over to you, Doc. Yeah, so thanks, Ron, and thanks um, the other co-speakers for, for your wonderful um, wonderful introduction. I mean, I've been, I was asking myself, I mean, I can't look for that. I did my married in 400 levels and survived. Maybe I'll have just left medical school right here yeah, because I don't think I don't think I have that kind of tenacity, right? Yeah, I mean, um, we've we've all done a lot, and um, so for me, um, I think I shared part of my story, so everyone knows me now. Um, also had a lot of um, backlash from from some colleagues. Um, I mean, that I actually don't care about. I mean, what do you think? Uh, why would you go write that about your school? Oh, you were the one that was this and that, that, that. Yeah, but I mean, in the end, I think that's supposed to go to almost a million people in the end. I mean, from Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. And um, for the amount of people that reached out, um, I mean, majority of the comments was clear that uh, in Mexico, there are a lot of challenges. And of course, uh, everything is not the way they should be. So for me, um, I. I mean, nobody forced me to study medicine. I mean, I, I gladly did because I wanted to help people. And and when I got to my fifth year, or was my fourth year, I had a very terrible experience where I had a, a family friend um, who had some terrible uh, meat, um, brain tumor, right, in, 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 very, in a very, very, very bad location. And then, in UCH, I because of the proximity and relationship, I went to the consultant neurosurgeon and told him I wanted to assist him in the surgery. I wasn't even in surgery too for me to do that. And then they left all these senior registrars and allowed me to assist the guy. And then when we assist, when I was doing this, we were doing the surgery, he just told me, okay, where he trained in 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 um, in Israel, he just needed to put a probe somewhere and then to tell him where the tumor was. I think it was a talama tumor, right? Um, um, and then it, it to tell him where the tumor is, and he just uses a pin needle, goes in and sucks the tumor out. But here, there was nothing. And then we're looking at the CT scan up and measuring, just calculating something on the, on the lady's head. And um, opened, got in, um, sucked in a lot of those tumors. We actually we luckily got there, right? And um, when we finished seven hours, I think that's what it was, seven, seven stroke nine hours, right? And then... Um, he survived, was sent this, uh, to the intensive care ICU, and um, a few hours later, she was rushed back because there was hematoma. Of course, we've scattered the lady's brain. And um, I mean, while we were doing the surgery, there were a lot of back and forth. Light would go off, we wait to put the light back, and that, that, that. And then when she went for the second surgery, she could not sit down, and she died. So I asked myself a very clear question Who killed this woman? Is it us or? Or the system, and then I realized that it was the system that killed the woman because why wouldn't you have light? So, why wouldn't you have the proper equipment? Why would you be doing to mutumbo basketball up on somebody's head, right? And um, I told myself there's really way much more to clinical medicine. Um, I mean, there's way much more, right, uh, out there that can actually solve this problem. So, I told myself then I wanted to go into management. To solve these problems, and that's what where when I got interested in, in healthcare management. Um, so after med school, of course, I I, I practice for you don't when you don't have money to, to study or to, to achieve your dream, you use one that you have first to hold yourself. So um, I I practiced 
did house job in UPTH and then um, did my youth service in Bayasa, um, practiced in Bayasa for a week, came back to Portal Courts and then I was practicing and then I was looking out for online masters that could help me achieve my dreams and so on. Um, back and forth with those and then I realized that I couldn't even pay at that time, six thousand pounds. I mean, how can't I pay six thousand pounds? I'm a medical doctor practicing as a doctor for five years. So I knew I needed to change to make this money. <laughs> and um and to also achieve the dreams I, I volunteered for FHI 360, which is an NGO working on HIV AIDS, then seven. I I did that uh, full between ten to five every day while I was fully on night shifts, six PM to nine six PM to nine AM. So basically, I was just that 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 horse walking around the clock, and I did that volunteering for seven good years. I mean, seven good months, sorry. And after that, um, I submitted my CV somewhere um, to to an NGO job, and I got it. That was with uh, with uh, the USAID as a contractor, and luckily, it was very funny that I got it. And um, that's when I got my first mega pay, and I was able to continue my masters then. And um, I did that after working there for almost two years. I moved to Clinton Health Access Initiative in Abuja. Um, finished, that's when I finished my first master's and then I said my MBA automatically, I mean, just alongside. And um, of course, Nigeria started dealing with me. Um, people victimizing um, <laughs> you as work. I mean, I wouldn't want to go into all of the, the issues in Nigeria, right? So I told myself, okay, I'm done with this country and I wanted to leave. And um, then I just saw an advert. Um, it's called Africa Comes. It's an initiative by German industry to um, to be in to have experience in German industry for about a year. And then um, if you're good enough, they retain you or they send you back to Africa to to be a manager or something. And I said, okay, oh yeah, let's go for this one. And I, I did, I, I did that program and I was able to survive after two days intensive interviews with the employers, right, um, from, from Germany. And that's how I got to Germany, so I, I moved to Mac, KGA, Darmstadt. It's actually the oldest pharmaceutical company in the world. And um, then I was registered acquiring skills in, in data visualization and, and, and data analytics. So I was in the strategy and business operations, um, integrated planning and analytics department in, in the in the company. Junkie just come, came to Europe. Um, well, I, I encouraged myself because everybody was still using Excel and, and Word and PowerPoint. So it's not as if they were using it different, you know, all of us had the same brain. So I fought hard and um, after my internship, I was retained. I worked there for three years and then moved back to um, the, the Global Health Institute of, of the company. So we doing drug discovery and so on and so forth. But I was in charge of uh, water sanitation and hygiene um, for the neglected tropical diseases that they are still tackling, schistosomiasis. And um, I did that for almost two years. And then I decided to move um, to stay closer to family because we live in Munich. My wife lives in Munich there. And then we're expecting our baby. So I just needed to move closer to her. And then I, I got another job with um, a medical um, medical device replica company, right? So they also they replicate everything from aeronautics, just regulators, right? And they, that's where I'm currently um, doing project management for international projects uh, for medical devices worldwide and supporting the senior vice president as his chief of staff and personal assistant. And um, 
yeah, so um, as also a global project manager, so I do a lot, um, both business analytics for the board. Um, I take their meetings, I do their presentations. I manage global rollout of projects and a, a whole lot, right? That um, is thrown at me. And so, so that's a brief, brief intro about myself. I, I think we are actually at the hour mark. And um, I think this might be a good time for people to ask questions. Yeah. So, run over to you. Thank you, Doc. Um, I think after this space, you do small giveaway, you know. You do small giveaway after this space. Thank you for that, um, you know, quick intro. You know, I mean, when I look back, a lot of us didn't have it easy. And I don't even know if this new generation, they're actually having it easy. You know, when you talked about you yeah, working like a horse, you know, hustling for money, uh, I think my mind just flashed back to uh, there was a time I was working like three, four jobs at the same time. I was practically living in my car. You know, I rented a one bedroom flat and my landlord never saw me. You know, he's always calling me on the phone. This young man, where are you? You know, because you're driving from one hospital to the other just to really make ends meet, you know. You know, uh, according to Uguna, dark times really. But I mean, we can't go for where we are today. So, if anybody's got any questions, please um, request for the mic, and I'll bring you up. So, um, moving into the like call the first phase or going forward, uh, Jenna, I'll soon hand over to you to <clears throat> pick up from here. I mean, med school. Um, conscious of the fact that there might be a couple of medical students here who are, you know, trying to figure it out, who are trying to, you know, navigate their way out of med school, <clears throat> really. And it's sad to say. I mean, after we've left school, a lot of things haven't changed really, considering the deaths of the house officers recently. And uh, nothing's really changed. It's so bad. And um, like every other system, you know, medical school in Nigeria has its own challenges, things around um, financial constraints. People are battling to pay school fees. We don't have um, adequate infrastructure. Uh, there is no limited access to clinical experience. There is uh, examination stress. You talk about the strikes and the um, unstable academic calendar that happens in mostly the public. Um, units, um, limited research opportunities, and a whole lot of other issues, really. And people begin to wonder, how do I make sense of this? How do I navigate this pathway? So I think it worthwhile if we shared the, some of those tips and probably best practices that helped us um, you know, get to where we are, finish school, and um, where we are at the moment, basically. So um, John, over to you. <clears throat> All right. Um, I think maybe I'll start up and um, outline a few things I think are general gems. Um, my medical school, I joined in the University of Benin. Um, and I think if, if I was going to change one thing or do one thing different about my medical school, it would be that I would attend class more now that I think about it. Um, I was not the greatest student in retrospect. Um, however, um, you you can't you can't remove how like the the 
So I can hear John again. Is it just me? I think we lost him. He's trying to reconnect. But I think someone's hands are up and someone requested to speak. All right, that's fine. Let me just um, yeah. give Kendi the mic while I wait for John to come back. Kindly, you can speak, um, you know, make it quick and short. Thank you. Hello, Kindy. Can you hear me? You have the mic now. Hello, Kindy. You can speak now. Uh. I guess network um, challenges. So, well, that's fine. So, Pepo, uh, let me just uh, put you on the spot. So, what worked for you in med school? I mean, considering the fact that you didn't start from first or 100 level. So, how did you navigate medical school? What were the tips that you think uh, when you look back, uh, people can use these days to get through the system? Right, thank you very much for that question. So, um, what worked for me? So, yeah, like you rightly said, um, I already did a first degree in anatomy post-alcohol before going to med school. So, um, so I think I was mature going to med school uh, because I finished just as many people have finished secondary school at 16, 17, stayed at home for a year, then got into I was so impatient. So I actually should have gone into medicine straight. But you know how this false illusion that you were the best student in secondary school in your class, and then people who were not as intelligent as you supposedly, my friends got admission into their cho uh, choice courses in Uniport, like engineering and everything. Then I didn't get it to study medicine. So I, I should have just waited again and do the exams and all of that. But instead, I say, no, I'll just go to the human anatomy. So, um, and I don't have good memories of Uniport, so to say. That was where I did anatomy. In the sense that it wasn't what I wanted. So I wasn't just enjoying. You know how you have to pass through in a uni, pass through you. But I basically just passed through uni. It was towards the third year. I got involved in student politics. I became national president of my state's uh, student union. And um, I was involved in fellowship, all those, you know, normal things they do. And yeah, so I really did not really, I did not really enjoy uh, Uniport, so to say. So when I left for Calabar uh, Medical School, I just told myself, you know what, now you've got what you want. So take time to enjoy it. So it was, the best experience, so to say, of my medical journey, I mean, medical school, because I got into, I started from second year, and during the second MB, you know, the first uh, MB you have to write, I don't know if it's second MB or whatever they call it. So I didn't have to do human anatomy as my MB course. So I only did physiology and biochemistry. So it was easy. I wasn't studying too much. It was just so chill for me. I. Obviously, you will still study anatomy, I mean, physiology and biochemistry, but I wasn't paying too much attention because I already knew the stuff from, from way back. So I was just refreshing my uh, my my knowledge. 
But also the bad part is I didn't push further because if I had said, oh, I've known this before, let me put more effort, I probably would have made distinctions in those courses. But I was just laid back. I beg, I know this thing waiting to happen, you know. So I just knew that I wasn't going to fail it. So I just pushed through. Getting to the next year, third year, um, I became the class president. So I was class president, like class rep from third year to final year. So I was like rallying point for my for my class um, and teachers and all of that. So I think that maturity, you know, really helped me in medical school. I was into everything. I was just sociable. I was coordinating everything. And also because I was a bit older than majority of my classmates because I already I was four years older than them. So and I was able to integrate and mix up with them very well. And also because I was coming from Port Harcourt, you know how I mean. Alaba is a bit, they, they see protocol people like a bit more sociable and all of that. So it really gave me uh, an, an edge, you know, gave me an advantage really, you know, live my life the way I really wanted. So um, I remember when we were having um, Viva for pathology, that's the pathology class, I mean lab medicine class, so it was microbiology. So the visiting professor was the first to get in and he but when I got in, my professor was in the hall and he was like, oh, that's our class prefect and all that. So the visiting professor was like, OK, so we're going to use you as a yardstick for the knowledge base of the class. So whatever we ask you, we use that to judge how intelligent or how not intelligent your class is. And he said, what do you want us to ask you? I said, um, anything. He said, no, pick something. I said, OK, uh, tuberculosis. And he just asked me to describe, uh, to define tuberculosis and uh, the chronic changes and all of that. And that was just it. So I came out, you know, but the, unfortunately, the pharmacology uh, viva was the, the best student in class got in first. So when he got in, and you know how all these BGS, they just like to show themselves. He got in and they asked him questions. He was answering and going into other things and he made it very difficult for every other person coming behind. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I really enjoyed med school to be honest. So when I talk to people, I understand the challenges that people pass through. So when I talk to people and they say they're struggling with medical school, initially I wasn't connecting. But at some point I just sat down and said, No, this might be a selfish part of me. For the fact that it was easy for me because I never had a list. A receipt. I never filled any because I never got less than 50 in all, even assessment, assignment, and everything. So it was just very, very smooth from beginning to end of medical school. So, but I understand that it's quite challenging because I tried to use my experience from my BSc years, how I struggled to do a course that I never really liked. And I don't think anatomy should be a degree course in Nigeria universities. It's actually a waste of time. It should be a course that medical students study, not a department on its own. It's a complete waste of time because I don't think there's anything you can ever do with that other than maybe studying again to become an anatomy lecturer. But that shouldn't be what you should waste four years of your life doing. That's a story for another day. So um, I think go look in retrospect. I would say medical students should try their best to just enjoy that season. It might be challenging, especially if you have issues with funding. And, you know, I'll just give you a story, like, quickly. Um, money, it's not like money was, I, I had all the money to go to medical school. Now, I remember when, in my fourth year, uh, across the state government and apartment state government, we are paying their students bursary. So my roommates, one is from Aquaibon, one is from Cross River. Aquaibon, we are paying 150, 200,000 naira. And the 
crossover one, we are paying something similar. So they just get this money. On the day they got it, they got it almost the same week, and they bought a new CD, TV, everything, and all that. And I felt very, very bad because here I was still getting my normal 10, 15,000 from home, and somebody had 200 grand, I mean, 200 grand to splash and all that. You know, I felt really, really, really bad. But, you know, that kind of just pushed me. I said, you know what? Um, it's not a matter of what they have now, it's a matter of where we are going, what you are looking forward to. Like I said, I knew from the beginning I was I was going to practice abroad. So I started asking questions. Unfortunately, the uni I went to, there are not a lot of people who traveled abroad to 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 uh, work. So fortunately, um, a British um, cardiologist came to our uni for two weeks, and then I asked him. He came to the. I mean, he told us that was in sixth year. Um, he taught us for two weeks. So I, he was teaching us ECG and he made it very, 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 very um, easy. So I asked him, how, what does it take for me to practice in your country? And he didn't know. I mean, which now I understand British people don't really know how people can come practice in their countries. But he just said, oh, there's an exam you need to take and all that. But I did my research and all of that. I was lucky to, to have my uncle sponsor me to come do masters. And whilst I was here, I took the time to understand the pathway to practice in the UK. And that led me to start my YouTube channel, which is called Dr. Pepper's Hub, where we just help people to navigate the pathway to come practice abroad. And I tell you, um, like in my class and years above me from medical school and even below, and that was the first to come. And I really took it upon myself to be telling all of them that, what are you doing here? There's no need you being in Nigeria. Come over, come over. I was doing that. At some point, it became like people don't want to talk to me because they feel if they talk to me the next night, I'll tell them is come, come abroad. But um, I, I mean, I understand that people have different uh, things they, they want to do. They have different um, um, dimensions to their life and they've got plans as well. So I don't show it over people's, I show it into people's throats anymore. But um, I would say somehow we'll be able to offer support and just help people to see uh, how you know easy it is not how easy anyways how clear it is to to practice abroad in case that is your decision and what i also tell younger doctors is um if you are practicing in nigeria and you want to go abroad or if you just finish medical school you want to go abroad you have a limitation of money to do your exams and all of that that shouldn't be so much of a barrier first of all get into residency training back home that is on the caveat that because I want Dr. Kelly to understand what I'm trying to say. That's if you want to specialize, if you want to go into residency training. If you don't want to go into residency training, which also is good, I mean, you decide what you want to do because medicine is just uh, the ticket we have, it's just the bread. So the butter is whatever you want to put in it. So if you want to go into content creation, uh, Ali Abdal, who did a uh, house, I mean, foundation year in my hospital when I started training year one, he is richer than all the consultants in our hospital put together. But he was F1 when I was in GP training year one in the same hospital. So you can imagine where he is today. So whatever it is you want to do, yeah, you decide. But if you actually want to go into training, and you are Nigerian and you are struggling to either do the exams to pass IELTS or PLAB exams or USMLE or whatever, or you're trying to gather money because it's not easy to even get money, it's quite capital intensive. I would say instead of you 
just doing MO jobs. Uh, that's also not to deride people doing that. Try and get into residency training in Nigeria because that will give you direction and knowledge so that you can easily negotiate. You have good negotiation skills when it comes to you passing abroad. Although you have to be careful, there's a caveat because there's a level to which you get into training back home that makes you that disqualifies you from training abroad. You know because you will be looked as being overqualified. Although there are certain other levels that you can start from as well if you want to come abroad. So these are things that people should get clear in their mind. So whatever it is you really want to do, I would say have a plan, start working towards it. You know, milestone by milestone, gradually tick them off. Make sure you get all the knowledge and information you need. And that's where mentorship comes into play. Unfortunately, the black community is bereft of uh, good mentorship uh, skills or good mentorship uh, mentorship mentorship programs. So, uh, but I'm so happy now that people are beginning to see the need to to get mentors because the job of a mentor is to tell you how easy it is to get from Port Harcourt to Lagos without going through roadblocks. Otherwise, you go through so many roadblocks and so many policemen getting money off you before you eventually get to Lagos. But if a mentor who's navigated that pathway before shows you or lies the pathway for you, it makes it a lot easier for you to circumvent and uh, avoid all those barriers and you get to your destination bigger. So uh, having this space and having all these um, erudite scholars, these amazing people doing all what they are doing, I would say let's leverage on this opportunity and just ask questions and ask questions. I didn't really have this. When I came, I made so many mistakes. I wrote my first MROCOG exams and I didn't pass it because I just didn't even know what materials to study. You know, when I was in training, um, I failed one of the exams uh, during training also because I didn't really know what materials to study. You know, but when I start asking questions and then start seeing so many Nigerians who are already in GP training and asking them, and I got materials from them, I didn't even need to study so much because it was so easy. These are the things they were asking the exams. And the Indians, yeah, the Pakistanis, they all have those things and they share it amongst themselves. What happened was I just prayed one day and I went to work and some lady who is just an Indian messaged me and said, Purple, oh, unfortunately, dream past your exam. I'm so sorry about your exam. I'm so sorry about it. Uh, do you want to send me your email and I'll send you materials? That's it. She's an Indian. And she sent me that material. Do you know, I was, I was reading it. I was recalling the questions from the exam. Everything was in there. That was just what I studied. I got two, three other people who were doing the exams with me and we were studying this material for three months, got into the exams, 80% of the questions were just there. And that's it. So that's also what community, what reaching out to people can do for you. So in a nutshell, um, I also have good memories of medical school and there are so many things that you need to do to get you to where you are, not necessarily hard work, but about networking and having the right uh, information. Thank you. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Pepo. That was amazing. Okay, I can see John is back. Um, over to you, John. <laughs> um, the network keeps, keeps, um, keeps kicking me out. But yeah, I think um, Miss Beginner will just be a good follow-up to Dr. Pepo because I agree with a lot of things that he said. Um, I also generally fondly, mostly, mostly fondly remember medical school. Like I said, I joined the University of Benin. Prior to then, incidentally, like everyone can mostly relate, 
had a mostly probably like throughout secondary school, top of the class, this is a student, straight A's and everything. Um, my first year I didn't get medicine. I got into the Delta State University, um, studying medical biochemistry. I think I had a five point GP in the first semester. So basically all is um so I was going to switch to medicine, but then I took jump again. So at the end of the first year, I had the option of continuing second year in Delsu or um, going to University of Benin to start afresh. And I went to University of Benin and started afresh because then, quote unquote, federal school. Um, mostly, again, didn't have issues. Obviously, the first year was basically a repetition of what we had done in Delsu. So mostly fine. Um, one, two, three, um, up to second MB, still mostly fine. I mean, obviously, everyone gets the initial shock when you start doing like preclinical medicine and, oh, you have to do all this reading and, oh, no, you're not doing exams every year or every semester anymore. It's mostly like all these MCAs. And so culture shock, but I mean, it was, I think it was easy enough to adjust. Um, I think after maybe highlighting some of the most noted parts of the stories, I would highlight some of the things I thought that made the adjustments really easy. So, um, up to first MB, most, uh, or rather second MB, that's what we used to call the anatomy biochemistry then. Mostly fine. I think I even had a, I had a distinction in medical biochemistry. So that was all mostly fine. Um, clinical gears got a little trickier because that's, I think, I think that's when I figured that you couldn't just coast. You couldn't just, I mean, just study. You actually had to, it was not enough to just, I mean, read your books, you actually have to, you can't do clinical medicine by proxy, you have to attend post-saints, you have to be a clinical student. So I think that's when I had a bit of a struggle, but again, mostly enough to coast. Um, I didn't fill any exams, didn't have any, rece didn't have any receipts. Um, I didn't have, I didn't think I had any excellence, any other distinctions other than I mean preclinical years, but I got a lot more involved because when, I mean, you're, more of a classmate, you're attending lectures, you're contributing to postings, then you now begin to become involved in maybe your students' associations, um, political associations, your other. And that's when, I mean, you now develop, I don't know, medicine as a community, start building your career, start building those networks. Because I think one point I want to make early for everyone who's listening who's still in medical school, your medical career actually kind of starts from medical school. I mean, it's a process, training, practice, the training doesn't end. Some of the things that you do now is going to determine how quickly you get house job. What you can hear people talk about how they, how they knew they were not going to practice medicine, like even before medical school. You start making those moves in medical school. So know that your career, your medical career has already started, whether you're in medical school or not. So clinical years, um, um, went through most of it. There was a particular incident which I just want to highlight. <laughs> I remember because um, we had a new HOD for our um, women clinicals when we were about to do our ONG exams. We had a new HOD, and then ONG in our school used to be like um, easy, quote unquote. We used to have like a really high percent pass, like 80 something, 90 something. And it was interesting because the new HOD came and said that he could know that we were, quote unquote, playing with the course, and as such, we should know that only half the students will pass. It was really weird, but only <laughs> at least at the first sitting, and they received a bunch more students passed. But at the first sitting, it was really interesting because only about half the students passed. 
we will talk like again lots of really angles to talk about where the problems in medical school come from but it was kind of an eye-opener for me too i was lucky enough to pass but i know some really really good students that didn't pass that exam and i know that it was not entirely just because that oh for whatever reason it definitely was not because they did they didn't know enough to pass the exam so medical school was interesting to me i'm very grateful for where i trained i'm grateful for the training i had um i can mostly pinpoint quote unquote the problems i had and the things i could have done to mitigate them um but i think my top three like all the things i was saying i was cut off earlier one of the advice like i've already mentioned how you should understand that your career has already started most of the things you do now um attending classes gaining medical knowledge um interacting with your lecturers and other doctors um even even contributing to let's say your student associations or your fecams or your cmd all these other associations that revolve around the medical space it's a contribution that you can be making towards your medical career because i mean this is where you're going to find mentors people that will have these conversations with you um people that will have um give you guidance people that will we know how like when you're talking where do you see the material all those discussion groups that chat first point is know that your career is already counting second point is attend classes i was making this point earlier but i want to reiterate it um use it as a stepping stone to guide yourself to the knowledge that you're going to have know that eventually a lot of the information that you're expected to know might not be explicitly told to you you might not have the 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 privilege let me not say the privilege because you should have i mean a clear course syllabus and oh this is what you should know at the end of this course but sometimes this is not that clear this is just the way it is this is just the way the system is so one way or the way you can do to mitigate that is know that your um attendance and classes those interactions with your lecturers and other persons who have this information could be very vital to you in this exams and passing um also communities we already mentioned communities leverage your networks whether it's through student associations participating in congress um um how do you say it you religious bodies become cmda like we said those connections are it's 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 there are lots of places where you will get information and all of those information will help you none of some of them are not just going to be out in the open for those networks to ensure that you get that to reiterate understand that your career has started understand that um you all you need all the information that you can get and some of the places you get this information is from other people who have this information understand that um eventually your knowledge is your knowledge yeah when people talk about your medical school experience eventually all they learn in medical school is for them not going to judge you by um put on quotes reputation at the end when the chips are down it is what you know so whatever your grounds or your process through medical school is ensure that you pick up the necessary skills and get it done with all right good evening everyone thank you um june that was quite um very revealing and um, interesting thank you for those insights so i'll i'm aware a couple of persons are requesting for the mic i'll soon give you guys the mic and um, if you're just joining we are talking about surviving med school and career opportunities for healthcare professionals and this is brought to you by momentum healthcare um, 
we just feel it's worthwhile, you know, guiding people in the right direction, sharing stories. I mean, stories are the only way people get to learn. And, um, you know, it shortens the learning curve for a lot of persons, really. So we are happy to do this. So quickly, Dr. Shade, then Dr. Shina, then Dr. Kelechi, in quick bullet points, can you just tell us um, how you're able to navigate uh, med school and tips that you think um, the upcoming ones can use? Thank you. Okay. Um, I think I, I will give a few tips. I, I, I have them written out. So I think the first thing I'll say is, First, I mean, I agree with John totally. So many of the things he said are the things that I wish I had done. Uh, but as I said, getting married in medical school, having your first child while you're in medical school, having a cesarean to have that child, it wasn't really the easiest way to be able to have a lot of things, uh, you know, properly arranged. But I would say attend everything. You know, one of the mistakes that I made, and it's not really a mistake in and of the fact that, you know, it didn't really like adversely affect me, is that I didn't attend so many things. So I'm not even in the pictures of so many things. And I don't have a, I didn't used to have a great relationship with a lot of my classmates. And as we've grown older and we're advancing in this profession, we're, kind of become closer needs. And I I, I I mean, I'm very proud of the set in Unilag that, I, that I'm a part of, the royal set. We're very close-knit. Everybody's very nice and welcoming of everybody else. So I, I would have had a tighter community, you know, with my classmates. And, and I'll get to why that, that, you know, affected me in some way while I was in school in just a minute. Um, I'll say take pictures, same reason. In most of the pictures, including our final year pictures and all that, I'm not in any of them because I always thought, you know, I'll just go out with my husband. I've been to that place they're going before. I should have attended more things and involved myself, um, you know, more with my classmates. Um, I think I was only, you know, in my in my state medical students, so it came to State Medical Students Association, I was the welfare officer, but it wasn't a very big association, and we didn't do too many things, so I wasn't very involved with a lot of my classmates, and, and I wish I had been more involved with them, so I would say that, do that, because you have this great relationship with them, they become the base of your network, you guys are shouldering each other on when you're going through stuff, um, you're following each other's careers, everybody's ensuring that you're in a good place, so it's it's really very important, you need that community, there's no getting around it. Um, I should have volunteered more, uh, I did volunteer with Ebola and Shebeki Cancer Care, but the more of my friends who volunteered, they got more information. A lot of them are outside the country doing great things. One is at WHO, Oxford, you know, somebody's in, you know, they're doing really great things because they started from medical school. They, they volunteered with, um, with some of our lecturers or some of our professors who were doing research, for example. So they got a lot of exposure really quickly and they could navigate their careers even better. So while I was there asking questions, I was asking the wrong questions and I was asking the questions from the wrong people. And that delayed me by a couple of years before I stumbled into clinical research. I found out that I really loved it. So if I had volunteered in medical school, I would have had more information. Um, yeah, I also mentioned earlier how, you know, part of the reasons why I had to leave Unilorry and all that was because, you know, money was tight and I wasn't doing very well just because I was always, you know, broke. And I had to come home and rethink and re-strategize how to handle my finances while I went to school. And I feel like there's a provision for that, but I had no idea. There's a provision in every school for bursary, for scholarships, for, you know, just different things. Like there's a welfare, your dean of student affairs, his office is literally created for your sake. But a lot of us only go there when we're looking for allocation for hostels and other things like that. At times, those people disturb them. It's your right as a student if you're still in school, in medical school, to have them help you. But we didn't used to do that. So I think that that's one thing. After medical school, I, I found out that two of my friends were actually on, on a sort of 
sustenance from the from the school and i had no idea and and i, I would have found something like that really helpful at that time in my life so apply for scholarship apply for welfare apply for anything that you can find to aid you so that you have more space to become more studious and and make even better grades it's easy to say that you know medicine is just pass or fail but that's a line when you ask for your transcript when you want to do your master's that's when you know that it was important the grades that you got um so you don't have to wait till then you can you can start now take your research seriously so that project that we did i didn't take my project seriously because i was pregnant during that period it was tough but i successfully finished it by god's grace at one point but it was a little later than other people and it was uh, the whole thing take your research seriously i have a colleague who took his research seriously and he was fortunate to have a great supervisor and that single thing catapulted his career astronomically like this guy is he was i think the first of us to travel it was it just and he's not practicing in a, in a hospital-based environment it really just went so if you if you if you take your research and every other little thing seriously, it might not look like it at that time, but as I said earlier, everything starts to make sense down the line. Um, seek information and share information. There is <laughs> information is everything. It's the currency of your career. You cannot you cannot grow if nobody's telling you. In fact, some of the jobs I have gotten that I have done, I got it because somebody said, Oh, you'd be a great fit for this role I heard about. Uh this would be a good job for you. I think you should speak with this person. They were never advertised, they were never given out there, and they've been insanely good money, better than anything you look at out there. So I think that you need information from your network and from people bigger than you, you know, like people like Dr. Peffle and Dr. You know, all of them now looking for them in their DMs because I think that they can help my life. <laughs> uh, you know, so consider residency training, especially for those of us who want to go the GMC way, who wants to go to the UK, who wants to go to USMLE. Having done something, something tangible, write papers, you know, do some things, answer some questions and put it out there that you've answered them. Also things, um, write a book. Those things actually start to make sense when you start applying for opportunities and there's, you are head to head, neck to neck with other people globally. You're not competing with Nigerians alone. And even the Nigerians you're competing with, Nigerians are very well known for doing very well academically. So the, the race is really very tight. Um, having written a couple of things or having that history is going to be very good. Um, follow your passion and again, community. And I, I think that's it. Thank you so much, um, Shade. I mean, if you're a medical student here, I mean, all this actually applies to everybody that is on this page. I hope you are taking notes. I'm even taking notes myself. And um, I mean, please share this link to other people you think might benefit from this because there's a lot of gems that are being shared on this space. Uh, Shina, over to you quickly. Give us your own tips and um, what worked for you. Uh, let me see if I can bring him up just a second. Yeah, Shina, over to you. The mic is yours. Hello, Dr. Shino. Okay, hi. Sorry, good evening. I lost you for a minute. All right, that's fine. So I don't know what, what exactly is going on. Every time I try to join, the voice kind of goes low. Sorry, I did not get the question directed to me. I'm sorry. All right, that's fine. So um, just passing the mic around to you know share with the audience, you know, what's okay. your advice, you know, best tips, looking back at med school, what worked for you that you think others can apply to make their life in medical school easier, sort of? Okay. All right. Thank you very much for that. So, uh, okay. So to start with, let me say I was among those people that did not choose 
to study medicine, but medicine was chosen for them by their parents. So I remember back then in school, I had watched all these, you know, movies. Um, um, Resident, I think Resident Evil, you know, all these movies where labs get to design viruses and all of that. And then I was in a boarding school, obviously. And um, I put him for my jam. I put biochemistry there to study. Then it was visiting day, and my dad came to school. He was like, "Oh, let me see my boy. What did you pick?" And he saw biochemistry. He's like, biochemistry. I mean, where will you work with that? You're still the housemaster. Please, this boy is not serious. Change it to maths. Don't worry. You will understand that that is choice. My mom, I mean, I did not understand. Obviously, that my my strong got changed to medicine, and I then went to University of Ibadan. And for me, what worked for me, just to start, and that, and that was how the whole thing, so I never wanted to be a doctor. I never envisaged being a doctor. I wanted to be a biochemist working in the lab, designing viruses. You know, I was young. That was always my dream. But my dad changed my, um, my story to study medicine. So what really, what really worked for me? What really worked for me? So for me, uh, on your level, well, um, I, I don't know if we have on your level students here. So for me, I really don't like calculations. I mean, you I then you had to do physics and all of that. So I kind of struggled with it. Even though I had the first class in 100 level, um, I mean, I had to go extra because I always hated physics. I didn't really like mathematics. And I knew that, okay, medicine, I will not have to do all of that. So that was one of the reasons I loved medicine. On your level, you had to do that. So, well, first order skills. Now, getting to 200 level. So um, I'm sure if, if they are some of my colleagues here, so my set in Ibadan, then um, the... Uh, the 2010 sets uh, is the set that they call the new curriculum set. So my set was the set in Ibadan that launched a, a, a change of what we call new curriculum in UCH, in which where there was a revamp of the medical curriculum, the grades for distinction changed. So in Ibadan now, the grades, I, I think the score for you to get a distinction in Ibadan went to 80. My set was where all of that started with. It used to be like closed marking before. I think it became an open marking. So a lot of things was, was introduced in my set. So what worked for me? Back to that question is first I had a discussion group. So I don't know if some of my group members are here. So we have this group called Awesome Age. We tag ourselves Awesome Age because we're like eight people. Twenty as you know, B, Lola, Everton, some other people before me, but my classmates. So what we would do is one, we we had this. It was a study group. We will come together. We we'll make sure after we have lectures in the evening. So usually, like have okay, maybe your room. We we'll use your room today. We're going to have to go through the what we were taught in class. Then um, you know, ladies always will have access to past questions. You know, we will solve past questions and all of that. So that really helped because for me. Um, and this kind of person that I do, I mean, you have to understand yourself. So this is me talking personally for myself. I really like to um, discuss with people because um, I think I have these memories where if you say something, it kind of can form a path in my head. So it worked for me. I usually had my jota, I would jot, twenty would give points, Buffet would give points. A lot of my friends would people. And the good thing was that all of us were always passing in medical school. Now, I should say, I'm not boasting, but I was among the so-called medical students. I never failed an exam in the whole of medical school. So I never failed one exam. Both CA tests, both MB, I never failed anything. It was from my 100 level to my final year, I never failed an exam. And this really helped me because, you know, when you discuss with people, it will, we've done it in class. In the evening, we'll discuss it. If I forget again, I would, I would then text, oh, Tony, um, you moved nephrotic syndrome. Um, you understand? You understand? You understand? Well, what, what, what did you do? How did you map? Tony would give me, oh, this is the joy. You understand? And all of that. So it really worked for me. So I think 
for medical students have a study group. I we used to call ourselves study bodies. I don't know what they call it now, but then we're calling ourselves study bodies where we meet and all of that. And it's really helpful. We're all just passing together. Sometimes we even throw ourselves a party because like you just do like this pizza stuff, each like to celebrate that all of us like did very well in the, in the test and all of and all of that. That's the first thing. Then second thing that worked for me in medical school is I was able to, for me, I was able to balance my time. So um, I would say I was a bit geeky. Now, when I say geeky, does not mean I like reading. No, you know, there are some people that are geeky that they like to sit in front of the class. They're always carrying book on their head. They don't do any of them. They're just doing that. No, I was geeky in the fact that I would, I would just go to class, but my social life was not very social. And what I mean by my social life was not very social was that I was not going to, you know, we had medical students that apart from schools, they were being politics, they are going to clubs, they're going to outings, they're going to parties and all of that. I was a bit, I would say, socially retarded, pardon my word, which means I was not really doing those things, but I would, you know, maybe once in a while, just, you know, hang out. I wish I could do better in that area. So because I was a bit introverted, so I think that's one of the perks that um, community. And I, I, I started this whole little social media thing in medical school where the whole educational thing was where I, when I just got so I had this few strands of data on my chin. I was just like, let me try and be funky and all of that. Then another thing that worked for me was a, was again learning and having mentors. So um, someone that mentored me then in school, even though it's, I still see my, my mentor now, there was one of my senior, he was just two cents higher than a doctor. Is Dr. Alec Benedictor in the UK now. And, um, you know, it's good to always learn from the mistakes of those that had gone before you. So I would meet Don or Don or really I'm going to be having this time. You know, give me tips and all of that. And um, yes, just to mention, I also love research. So as a medical student, um, being one of the best in my class, I, a couple of us were selected. I got a grant to to carry out the research. So my love for research actually started in medical school. So if it's something you like, and I do, um, I, I do advise medical students, it's a good thing to get to be involved in researches because it kind of opens your mind and horizon so then i got a grant as a medical student and i you know grant to get funding and i published my first paper in my i think 400 level like fourth or fifth year you understand published my paper and I, I, that was my first paper as a medical student. So I, and there, I, th I think medical students can explore that. If you are in that space, you want to do research, you can re reach out to me. I could, um, uh, you know, put you through. Then um, coming to final year, they all do some little things that also worked for me was when, when I felt down, I always sought for help. Yeah, medical school is draining. You and it, it it is it can actually get you fatigued mentally. Don't bottle it all up. Now, for example, now I I have a, a couple of medical students I mentor. I mean, I check up on them. I make sure to you know or you know just to be part of their dreams. What do you want? What person are you? And also have a way I support them. I think someone might be on this space, and I think it's what a lot of medical students will do. Let me tell you something. There is always an advantage when you ride on the shoulders of those that have been before you. It's, it's, it's something that has been tested and proven. So if there's someone you admire, it might not even be in, in academia, or maybe something you like what they do, send them a DM, reach out to them, network. And um, yes, and what again worked for me in medical school? I think, yeah, that was also, I read, and also my spirituality. Um, well, I, I'm a Christian, and I also was working in units because I believe that to strike your balance, that's for me, you need God also because medical school, trust me, 
apart from you can be smart, fail test, I, all that happens. So for me, I also believe if you maintain your balance with God, don't be that medical student that you just want to be a book, 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 book person. And um, book, book, book person, I just forget God. No, still hold on to your God. I was active in my fellowship. I like drama. So I was in the drama you need. I love to go for evangelism and all of those things. So and I, I was able to strike a balance. And um, yes, yes. And coincidentally, I'm sure if you read my bio I sent to Dr. Bai, you see that it's the root there that I finished with the distinction. Yes, you can do it. I didn't even know I had a distinction, you understand? Because everybody just forgets about distinction in Ibadan because they've made a distinction 80. I mean, why, how do you expect people to get 80? You understand? So... I never even thought I had a distinction. I just said, let me just pass school if I don't have a distinction. If you want people to have this, I mean, you see people graduate, they come out with seven distinctions. You, if I was always saying, we are proud. I mean, they are happy that in 50 years, um, no one has had a distinction, you understand? So it's very terrible. I just hope the mentality of the authorities and the people in the Badon will change that there is no joy in depriving people of those because the toxicity, I feel that if you look at the mental health of medical students, Sorry to say, people from Ibadan have one of the poorest mental health because the system is so toxic. And I still see it now. It's still so toxic. So I do hope one of these days, the authorities in the of Ibadan will do better. Yeah, so I just got my trans keyboard. I just saw my just that distinction, blah, blah, blah. No, all of that. So yes, you can do it, balance your life, and talk to people. If you're sad, don't bottle it up in Ibadan. Then we have this... Um, mental health services you could reach out to and all of that. When I had mental issues, I also reached out to I, I, I'm, I'm very, very fragile when it comes to the academia. I cannot take a lot, you understand? But I had friends who supported me, read with me, journeyed with me, passed with me. And often today, we are the awesome age we call ourselves. We're still friends. So that would be for my end one. How I passed through my medical school. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sheena. You know, as you were speaking, I mean, I was like, if I had heard all these things, uh, before I got into med school, probably my life would have been easier. But again, it's what it is. Uh, Kelechi, I don't know if you're up there trying to bring you up, but it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, Dr. Barido, can you go quickly? Bullet points. Yeah, so thank you. <clears throat> Um, let's, let's go. Uh, what about advice, people? I think first thing is maybe difficult, but you need to you need to know you need to have a big picture, right? Um, you need to have a big picture. Um, so basically, maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not. sorry, can you hear me? Yes, yes. seems yes. to be a queen. I'm not going. I'm not going. You can try again now. Probably should be better. Is it better? Yes, please. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so I would say um, maybe I just make it five points. First thing is have a big picture. Um, have a big picture. Um, life life doesn't end in med school. Um, I think the, the really major step of everyone on edge is success. Um, success here. They have doesn't have to be money, but I mean, of course, money too is also a, a an influencer, right, or a motivator or, or an engine. Um, but have a broad picture and um, about life, try to to have that broad picture. The seventh thing I would say 
don't be only book smart, but be street smart. Um, in the end, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not everyone that has a first class um, that is successful out there. I mean, it takes a different set of skills to survive um, outside academia. In fact, if you come to Europe or America, I mean, most people in academia, yeah, some of them are doing very, very well, but most of them will tell you, I'm not. It's better to be in, in the corporate space because that's where things happen. So this is these people that are in the corporate space are, are not just book smart but very street smart. I use that word street smart, which is um typical for nurses, ingenuity, trying to create and solve problems. I mean trying to create problems and also solve problems. And creating problems is on the bad note, but trying to solve problems. Um the, the that's that two things I mentioned. The other thing I would want to mention is to know yourself. Uh, know yourself and know yourself early. Know what you want to do early. Uh, you need to ask yourself, I mean, are you this person that is good with maybe surgery or you have social skills or blah, blah, blah. Understand yourself early. And when you understand yourself, there are some skill sets that's, or there are some career paths that you can take that you succeed. There are some career paths that you take that's not part of your personality that will make you feel like you feel so woefully. So a quick example, I mean, imagine if if Michael Jackson did not understand himself uh, early on, they did not grab that singing skill, they didn't um, see him as a leader and, you know, um, pulled him out to be the lead singer from the Jackson 5. Imagine if he was a data analyst. I imagine if he he ended up becoming a biochemist or something. Nobody would have known his name. Or also imagine someone like Thomas Edison now being being a musician. <laughs> you would feel woefully, right? So you need to know yourself. You need to know these skill sets that God has given to you. Um, I mean, I I somehow knew myself when I was growing in med school, and so my personality, I knew what I wanted in life and vision, but. When I got to Europe um, and I got fully into the corporate space, I realized that there, there was a deeper dive to this. For example, my former company does what they call insights. And this insights, it's, it's a kind of personality test. So they, they assess you and they know the kind of person that you are. And with that, they know where to position you in the company and know the kind of roles to give to you. And you know yourself and you know the roles that you do well in and not in well in clearly. And this is a psych psychological test, right? And of course, my company paid for me, and I got a how many page? Twenty-four page analysis of myself. <laughs> and then it was just so clear, Barry, this is you. This is you. And my boss knew how to manage me. I knew how to manage my boss. Um, my colleagues knew my personality, my colors, and everything. And this has helped me to move. And if you want to understand what that is, in the brief, in a nutshell, I'll just mention four, four colors, there are four color skills. So it's called the red, the yellow, the blue, and the green. Um, these are psychomotor analysis and psychological analysis done years ago. Uh, red people are people that are good at marketing. They are forceful, they are, they are very um, alpha males and blah, blah, blah. Blue people are very analytical people. They don't just accept anything throughout them. They delay making decisions. They're very, they'll pick all the errors in anything. And you think they're just after you. The yellow people are people like me. I'm both red and yellow, by the way. Yellow people are motivators. These guys are everybody's friend. They can jump from here to here. 
they understand a lot of things at the same time that the light, the, 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 the life in any party or anywhere is that very good politicians, basically, very outgoing, blah, blah, blah. Green people don't want to believe that. They just want to support people or as, support you to achieve your dreams, basically. Yeah. So you need to understand yourself. You need to know who you are, and then this would help, right? So, um, yeah, in med school, just no matter what, just have graduates, have that DR on your name. And then it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the launching ground for you to be whatever you want to be. I mean, you can be anything you want to be. If you like, leave the mess now and be a, be a carpenter, you'll do well, right? But just make sure you go to med school and you come out, no, no matter what. I, I use that word, no matter what. Reason being that people are different, right? For me, what I, what I, if I was back in med school, what I would love to know was how are certain exams assessed? What are the things that one needs to know? What are those materials that boys need to know? If it showed me the material, I would move. Maybe I was not within the right circle of guys, you know, that had this access to the material, and I was just reading left, right, and center, so then reading the wrong things, and so on and so forth, because there was no structure. Anyway, in, in, in the Badomet School, I still think there's no structure. I'm glad to hear what the um, Senator had mentioned, right? But, it's still clear that the toxicity is high and all of those stuff, right? And so those are things I want to say. I remember when I eventually passed met, I mean, I became a doctor. A, I won't mention his name. He's a professor in medicine. And then this guy, went as a student, he's, he, of course, you can approach them. And then that day he came to me, he was shaking me, he was congratulating very happy man. I'm like, ah, he's like, yeah, now you're a doctor. Every past medical history, every other Thing that happened in medical is past medical history. You're not a doctor. That's it. That's it. Thing just sank in my head. Forget all those things that happened. You're not a doctor, right? And that is what you should aim for. No matter what, see, make sure you you have this medical degree anywhere you go on earth. Once you mention you're a doctor, boom, it opens more doors. Once you pass med school, I don't think there's any competition that will come your way that you cannot overcome. Honestly, you do it because. Unfortunately, the Nigerian medical system teaches you how to handle stupid pressure, psychological pressure, all of those stuff. So you have that that drive to succeed in anything you want to do, right? So um, these are the few points of mine, and let's just leave it here. Thank you so much, Doctor Barry. Please come and pay for my own uh, analysis test. Me too. I want to. I want to know myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are a few ones that that might be very expensive, but maybe to just note. There's, if you, if you can, if you can listen, there's one called Clifton Strengths. I also did that one. Um, Maybe you could just tweet the link or yeah, link. About, about those. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. If you guys are just joining, we're moving through med school and career opportunities. If you've got any questions, please request for the mic. I'll bring you off stage to ask your questions. If you're Twitter or X chat, you can send me a DM and I'll read out your questions up here. Um, well, a lot has been said about tips and tricks for surviving med school, and I'm not gonna talk about that again. I think the only thing I just wanna add is, I mean, <clears throat> some of us didn't get distinction where among the people, let my people go, you know, just give us our 50, let us, move from here right i also failed a couple of modules i, I think i research ong i research internal medicine in the final year you know so i think i already tweeted this i mean just take your failures in good stride it's not the end of the world really 
and own it to your full chest and then walk towards your receipts. Then to to the people who like um, holding question papers, you know, <clears throat> I'll just say pulling others down or hiding all those things don't make you better or it wouldn't put you ahead. So still boils down to that community effort thing, share information with every other person and um, all of that. So I think, uh, yeah, that's what I just want to add as to tips and tricks for surviving med school. Again, if you've got questions, please send me a DM or raise your hands and I'll bring you up stage. So quickly, we'll move into um, career opportunities in the different areas. And um, yeah, I know a lot of people are looking forward to this because, I mean, I get a lot of questions every day. I mean, I'm tired of Palo, Jondis, Anikteric, Asayo knows what can I do and all of that. So, I mean, there's a perfect opportunity to think about or understand some of the opportunities that lie outside the bedside. Uh, sorry, somebody now asked, uh, displaced or displaced doctor. I don't know where you have been displaced to. Please go ahead. Make your question short. Thank you. Hello, displaced doctor. Okay, go ahead. You have the mic. Wanted, okay, so I wanted to be sure it was me. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been listening. And, you know, uh, first thing, in fact, my wife started listening away together and she asked me one question. She said, could it be that uh, most people who uh, want to consider a medicine, a, a career outside, um, outside clinical practice are those people who um had issues or um, negative experience through medical school um that is one until until she had on dr shina's um, case and the, it, it seems to think he's one of the few exceptions he's one of the few exceptions right so i needed to get that clarified could it be that it's about people who had a different experience in medical school um that do not want to continue with clinical practice and try to find something else outside that, that's number one um, number two, is it possible to have an association of um, um, non-clinical doctors? Because for me, I feel that's going to create an umbrella to allow people um, um discover themselves and who or what they, they want to do. I, I, I'm not sure where I belong to. Uh, I think I have a particular case. Um, came into medical school in 2009. Um, finished in, okay, I think I finished 2021. Uh, finished house job in March, left the country the same March. Uh, of course, Nigerian medical school, Hala, uh, along the line, you got losing interest, become depressed. But my issues in medical school were in the earlier years. The subsequent years were just fine, right, right, once they move on. That's my, that's the two concerns I have. Um, is there a relationship with performance and choice? And secondly, um, is it possible to have an association? Personally, um, uh, I'm open to the non-clinical practice. In fact, I published my first couple of books while in medical school, had a couple of businesses, married in medical school. Um, uh, I think I had my first kids while in medical school as well. Um, my wife came to the U.S. and a couple of other things. In fact, I was largely a sponsor. Before someone was in my family, my family was not involved. Um, my first international trip was while as a student. I won that award in medical school. I'm going to talk about that on a different platform, but I needed to um, differentiate these two things. Um, if it's related, and secondly, if we can have an association to get other people um see the possibilities that you can have a life outside clinical practice as a doctor. Okay, thank you, displaced doctor. I don't know why people use funny names for their, you know, <laughs> headers, but that's fine. 
I think anybody can answer this. But for me, I, I think it's more about maybe people beginning to realize where their interests lie or in their passions. I mean, for me, I still like clinical practice. And I tell people that, well, I basically took a break from clinical practice and probably I'll soon come back. You know, somehow I still miss it, really. So, but I don't think it's maybe associated with trauma of um, medicine or med school, you decide to run away and all of that. So, for me, it's about discovering new interests and seeing what uh, lies on this other side. Then for association of non-clinical doctors, well, we've not finished battling uh, NME and MDC and Wala. So I don't know how that's going to work out. But the only thing I tell people to, I mean, look for all these persons who are in the non-clinical spaces, you know, follow them on Twitter or X, follow them on LinkedIn, connect to them, ask them questions. I think that's probably a better approach. I don't even have energy to form any association. I'm happy the way I am like this. Uh, Shade, do you want to chip in something? Go ahead, please. Yeah. Um. So for some of us, yeah, it's not even trauma. If anything, I don't think medical school was traumatic for me personally. I think housemanship was traumatizing definitely and and watching other people maybe in medical school you know watching your residents or your your senior registrars at their interactions with their seniors it wasn't something that i was was there for me to look forward to basically but medical school in and of itself was not really the most traumatizing for me and that's not really why it's just it's a myth when they tell you as a woman, as a career woman especially, I don't know if it's the same for men, but when they tell you as a woman that you can have it all and you can do everything and kumbaya you, I, I don't think that, I think that you're going to have to make some sacrifices. I, I wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, but what I came to realize is that medicine, finishing and graduating from medical school is really just like finishing from primary school. You don't even know yet whether you're going to science class or you're going to commercial class. or you're going, You don't know. You don't even have an idea that there's some, I mean, for example, it was when I got into the university that I first heard of cell biology and genetics as a course. So there's really some experiences that you will not have until later. So sometimes you don't even know that you don't, that none of the traditional regular specialties fit you until you've had some experience. And then you start to realize, uh, I think I'm a little bit different. I think I'm a little bit different. And I think my desires are a little bit different. Sometimes you're like me, and you have, you wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, and you were lucky enough to get a, a, a spouse who even wants to support you and encourage you and push you to do it. And then you're realizing, uh, I think my I, best, I, I, want, I want to be at home with my children. I want to work from home. I, I prefer to work from You know, so sometimes those realizations come the more exposure you gain. Um, I think that's the first part. For um, for the second part, you know, as to if we can have an organization or a sort of body, I'm not sure how that would work, unfortunately, because, again, <laughs> we're still battling MBC, as somebody said. But even more so, our interests outside of the hospital are just so various, so, you know, just cuts across. I mean, social media doctors, for example, are different from clinical research doctors. It's not even, sometimes as a clinical research physician, I don't, I don't even come online. I'm just on my computer in different applications doing the things that I'm supposed to do. And I might not get to Twitter for three, four days. You know, whereas the other people who are putting out information, they who are creating content, they are on social media all of the time. So our interests are not necessarily going to be looked after. It's going to end up like, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, like Joe Esu, where everybody's going to be pulling their session in different different directions. And sometimes what you want is going to be the direct opposite of what somebody else wants for the association. So I'm not really sure. But what I think might be better is to add some of these other non-traditional outpost career paths in clinical medicine to the curriculum. 
so that medical students have more awareness of them early on and can start to see if they want to develop interest there. I mean, they, they used to exercise public health when I was in medical school. And I know very well that at least one senior colleague once said to me that, oh, those public health people, they just like money, they don't really want to work. And so you don't want to be seen by your senior colleagues as just, there, there, there seems to be this whole thing where they don't want you to chase money as if, as if being a doctor has and, and chasing money has to be like different. So there was that whole thing. I don't know. I don't know. So I, I'm not sure if it could, if all of those interests would align under one umbrella. But each microcosm, each individual specialty, or the ones who have things in common, maybe like project management and clinical research, might end up, you know, I don't know. But I think a curriculum, at least, at the very least, might be nice. That's what I want to say. Thank you, Shadi. Uh, Pepo, quickly, over to you. Yeah, um, this is quite an interesting question, to be honest. So uh, the, the thing is, if you look at the culture of medical practice, especially clinical practice, it's, it's a lot, you know, judging from what happened during the pandemic. People are feeling very exhausted, very burnt out, stressed out. And a lot of people have said transitioning out of med medicine and into alternative careers. And uh, you ask why. So personally, I mean, I get bored doing one thing over and over and over you know the excitement when you start training or when you go to medical school uh they kind of just teach you to be single-minded and just focus on the end results so everything you're thinking your final achievement is just go through training become a consultant uh all those years of blood sweat tears and everything at the end of the day you just ask yourself is it really what it is this what you're going to is this going to give you the life of your dreams? You know? And when you see your friends or your colleagues who have been so bold to move out and do something else, and you see how you know their life is going, then you have to sit down and question yourself again, what can I do? So I think it's just that quest, that desire to look for something a bit different, you know, um, something that takes you off that relentless workload. I mean, check, for instance, in the NHS, the, the, the staffing problem is, 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 is puts a strain on people, but on your mental health, you, you feel so undervalued, you know, um, you are in moral distress, you know, you are basically just fighting a, a, a lost battle. You feel just so helpless. There are patients that you need to do some things for, you can't do it because you you can't access um, care for them. And that's even you practicing in a developed country. Imagine, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead, please. Yes. Imagine who people who are, imagine people who are practicing uh, in, in, in Nigeria and resource poor countries. So it's, it's a lot. And that's what you're going to be battling with for the next 20, 30 years of your life. And you ask yourself, no. Is there nothing else we can do? It's not just about uh, money, although money is a big factor. But you look at it, work-life balance. How do I achieve this? How, on a long term, how do I create uh, that social security? How do I get a good pension? How do I get a good life? How do I really enjoy the pleasure of my work and also offering help to people? And when you think of all these things, then there's no other way than to start thinking of alternative careers. I don't think, I think with our generation and with what's happened, especially with the pandemic we've seen and how lives were just not out like that and people don't really care so much about what happens to your family when you're gone, then you need to re ask yourself, putting yourself in jeopardy, you know, trying to look after other people at the expense of your own family, of your own health. 
what what good is that? Then that's when you make that decision. It's important for people to, for us to think of, you know, something else. If you don't want to completely leave clinical practice, something else you can do on the side. You know, like me, like I said, I'm very bored. I don't think I can live in a house for 10 years. I want to move somewhere. So I can't live in one city for 10 years. I would like to move. God help me to live with one woman for <laughs> definitely. Like, we have to do that. But yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I'm transitioning into finance. Yeah. I, I just want to be in a place where I could, obviously my work now as a GP gives me that I work from home, I can go to, that's the beauty of family medicine in the UK, that's the beauty of general practice, you can do whatever you like, you can decide not to even see patients at all and you still be working as a clinician, you can uh, have interest in other things you want to do, let's say for instance you have interest in general surgery, pediatrics, trauma and orthopedics, you know, mental health, you still be a family physician and do those things on the side, having a clinic to to your to your practice and do all those things. So it gives you that opportunity to do so many other things. And you have days where you switch your brain to clinical work, days you switch your brain to something creative, something that also brings money, you know, into into the coffers and just gives you that balance. Like and go on holidays, actually live your life and not just that traditional uh, you know uh sense of being a doctor, hospital, and, and all of that. Ask yourself, you going through medical school, becoming a consultant and all that, how many people, even if you say your calling is medicine to touch lives, how many people will you touch in a lifespan of 30 years of practice compared to you being in the public space and actually doing things that you love, doing things that gives you pleasure apart from medicine and how many people you will reach an ripple effect? If you answer that question sincerely, you realize that all those unnecessary glorification of, you know, the consultant being Lord and Master, or which is what you have been sold, you realize that it is just an infinitesimal aspect in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, that's it. I'll just end there. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Taipo. Uh, displaced doctor, I hope that has been able to, you know, give some clarity to your questions. Um, Yes, but uh, my uh, my second question, uh, I didn't mean as per political association, I just meant some form of affiliations um, that will be able to create a more robust awareness about um, the opportunities that exist outside um, the the white collar, like you don't have to be in the clinical setting. Um, that was what I'm looking at. Um, something like this forum, something on a more um, regular and more um, organized setting so that people know that this exists and I will be able to have unpaid mentorship with either institutions or with students directly because the biggest gap we had or I'm experiencing is finding people do what I do. I do remember that the first person I met when I wanted to get into tech was um, the guy in a red bridge in, in Abuja. And when I went to his office, I was I was wowed. I was like, okay, so this is even possible. So I'm not the only one thinking um, this way. I'm not the only one with this crazy intention of leaving clinical classes to go do something else, right? And if I had not applied for an opportunity I saw online, I would never have um, met him. I wouldn't have ever met him. And um, I also came to the U.S. and I went to the meeting and I, I ran into another man who also had his own startup being a doctor. And I was like, wow, so things like this exist. In fact, I used to feel very odd when they come to class and they say, what do you want to do? 
and I will mention something and they will be like, I've never had this before. In fact, I hear a lot of I've never had this before more than I've more than any encouragement I'll ever think about. And I wish that someone out there is, you know, uh, making this obvious, talking about it, letting the world know or other medical people know that something like this exists. I appreciate the dimension she came from, which is putting the curriculum to make it possible for people to know that there can be opportunities. Um, maybe a course that discusses the specialties and subspecialties in medicine for people uh, in medical school would come in handy. At least it would be a good start-up point for us. And then the, the next other thing I wanted to say is that for people who are transitioning outside the country, like people in the UK and the US, uh, that would be my last comment on this. Is there, is there a possibility? Uh, please don't mind this place, doctor, okay? Uh, I'm Dr. Olenwe. I finished from Abuja. So, in Abuja. So, um, uh, the the last thing I wanted to say is that uh, for people who are transitioning to non-clinical settings outside the country, uh, is it possible for them, are, are they able to do these things without taking the professional exams in this setting? Meaning that if I come to the UK, can I transition to a non-clinical role? I don't need PLAP for that, right? If I come to the US, uh, since we're not looking at the clinical set, is it possible to, what are the opportunities there? How do people do this? So that a lot of people will stop holding themselves back, you know, going through the stress of PLAP. I remember, right, um, to go through the stress of plow, doing my eyelids, signing up, getting a date, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get to for my father. I'm not going. Uh, he's going to head into the U.S. So you get to see that sometimes you have to try some things. You'll be like, okay, you know what? I don't need this. So so we have a clear understanding that if you're looking at external or non-clinical setting, even in these terrains, let's know exactly what we should look forward to. So that was because some people are back in Nigeria trying to get money for plow that they will never use. That's the funniest part, or USMLE they will never practice in, so that we are sure we are much more guided. Thank you, though. All right, thanks. Um, this place, Dr. Shade, I can see your hand. Shina, I can see your hand. I'll get to you guys. Um, I'll probably just chip in here. I mean, well, in terms of bringing a sort of structure as to say the mentorship and all of that, I know Dr. Barry is trying to work out something. Again, it's time consuming, it's exhausting. So I think he's trying to figure out something more structured and uh in terms of other, you know, shedding light on other opportunities, I think that's really the trajectory of my YouTube channel. So I try to talk about other opportunities that lie outside the clinical space. So you might just want to check it out. I just pick one topic or one career at a time and I talk about them, qualifications and skill sets and all of that. So then in terms of transitioning, um, well, again, it depends on what you're looking out for. <clears throat> so sometimes you might need to, you know, go for a postgraduate degree. Sometimes it might just be a certification. Most times it's really the hands-on experience. From what I've seen so far in the UK, people are more concerned about what you can do than uh, what qualification you have, especially if you're looking at this health tech industry. I mean, if you if you say you are a data analyst, so yeah, show me your portfolio. What have you done? Uh, what uh, dashboards have you built? Can you interpret them and all of that? Can you manipulate Excel, SQL and all of that? You say you're a project manager. Okay, how many projects have you delivered within timelines, within um, costs or the budget of the project? So those are the things they are looking out for. So that's why most times I keep saying people should get their hands dirty, start building a portfolio because people are just concerned about can you deliver on the job if i give you this job can you deliver the job that's all they are looking out for so i'll just pause here i'll just pass to shadi quickly then shina uh there's somebody traveler i can't find him again uh hopefully you request for the mic again i'll bring you up so shadi over to you please yeah um I, somebody just 
ask if you can work in clinical, I mean, in not some of these positions without, uh, you know, some sort of advanced degree or something. I started in clinical research with just my MBBS and the organizations that will hire you like that. You can start here in Nigeria. In the beginning, they might not pay you that much, but I promise within a year or two, you can pivot somewhere else and get a much better pay. But you might have to get your hands dirty at first. That being said, even abroad, I know that for the U.S., right? You don't need to write your, um, what's it called now, USMLE for you to begin a job as a CRM, a clinical research manager, a clinical trial manager, a local trial manager, or a clinical research associate. Your MBBS is enough. And I know that there are CRAs that have upwards of $100,000 annually. So, yeah, just if, if, if you can get yourself to the UK in some way, shape or form, um, you can definitely get a job as a doctor in the clinical research space. It's getting more and more competitive every year because, you know, the jackpot waves have been very, very relentless. But it's, the opportunities are still there. I know that um, I still I still reviewed a couple of CVs for a couple of friends recently within the past week who are currently in the U.S. and who are... In fact, clinical research in the U.S. is, is, is set to be one of the specialties for unmatched doctors. So you can do your USMLE, you might not do it, you might be on some pathway doing it, and then you can be a clinical research physician because you're not actively treating patients, you're not touching any patients. So you have that opportunity to actually work and use your medical expertise to support project management. So if you have some operational external sort of thing in your in your CV, if you have done any projects, as somebody said, that, that's one of the best ways to you know ma to gain that proficiency. Uh, and even if you are entry level, you should be able to get a CRA spot or a clinical research coordinator spot or something using your MBBS if you you know tailor your CV well enough. Thanks, Shade, for that. Shino, over to you. All right, quick mic check. Am I very audible? Loud and clear. Okay, good, good. All right, so um, I'm just I'm going to do something quite unconventional. Um, I don't, I uh, I think we we're talking about career opportunities. So I'm going to be talking about because this is one I feel like a lot of we've not really spoken on, and I'm going to be revealing. Uh, I mean, I'm using myself as an example of how much you can make from these things. Um, one, and I don't think anyone has touched health influencing. Um, Ron, has anyone really said something about health influencing? Because I'm going to make, make some shocking revelations of figures using myself as an example. Well, I, 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 I you, you can start that conversation. I was going to get to it, but you can move on. That's um, fine. Because a lot of people don't say career opportunity. I don't want to say it's a career opportunity, but I think if you go in, into it um, big time, health influencing, it's a big deal. You understand? So forget all of these hates, medics to us, or you are chasing clouds and all of that bullshit. You do whatever you want to do. Anyone that feels you're chasing clouds for giving health tips and all of that, it's there. It's on them. You do and um, put out medical content if you want to put out medical content. So to everyone, because I really get a lot of DM from people that, oh, doctor, I don't want to really talk about medical stuff because anytime I talk about medical stuff, medical people will be dragging me, sobbing me, see. Go ahead and do what you want to do. Don't care about what people say. If doctors are saying, oh, you are doing this, you are giving medical tips, whatever you want to do, if you can't take them, block them. Simple. They are not adding values to you. They are always giving you negative comments. So block them, take, him, take them away. Now, let me get straight into it. Now, I see, I follow a lot of I mean, doctors here that have a lot of amazing content. And I feel if, um, if they've not thought about health influencing as a big deal and they just, you know, just throw it out there. Like I said earlier, one of the things I'm doing, and some of the people here 
are on the space, the um, um on on this on a group where I give tips to people, upcoming influencers, and you're trying to help them build for portfolios. And a lot of them have actually been doing well and been gaining followers and all of that. Now, talking about health influencing, there's a lot of money you can make from it. I'll give myself as an example because, well, I I also am. I mean, to health influencing. Now, the way health influencing works is like you know, you're when you are given, um, you know, health tips or adding how you want to do. It, you want to, you want to, um, you, you you have to define your own niche and do something you're comfortable with. For example, now, if you look at the way Apple Doctor does his own tweet thing, you know, he puts this comedic thing to it and all of that makes you laugh. Well, myself, I I'm not very I'm not, I know I'm not a very funny person, but I'm still able to try and put something witty. If you look at Ron, there's a way Ron does his own. Doctor Afram does his own differently. Doctor Kill, everyone does, and it's a lot of money to make. For example, I won't lie to you, and Ron will tell you, for you to bring some of us on this basis, you're going to pay close to 500k. Trust me. I mean, some of this time you just see the people. Why do you open our leg like this now? <laughs> I'm going to open a lot of. That's I said. I'm going to do something unconventional, so people will know that. There's power in some of these things that are just slipping on. I want I want to open people's mind. Trust me, you will need to to drop I mean, at least 500k to bring some of us on to, to talk on spaces like this. Some of you are just tweeting saying you are doing. Do you know some people? I, I'm not thinking what you who make up to 400k per tweet. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm telling you baseline fee that some of us collect. You understand? So I think some and, and the good thing is that. A lot of people have good content. You know, I follow a lot of medics and I see the beautiful things they put out there. And I just wish, okay, this person can think about health influencing. Now, health influencing has to do with all this your content, you know, because one thing is, apart from, I mean, now that Twitter has even introduced um, the whole payout thing, brands would pay for you. Trust me. Brands will want to work with you. Brands are going to reach out. Because one thing is, it's a small space because a lot of doctors are not doing it because a lot of doctors are too busy, whether with clinical practice, whether with research, whether with USML or whatever. So it's a space that people are not exploring. And there's a depth, I think. And um, just let me say again, is I like what one of the speakers said is understand yourself. I mean, it, it gets me when some people feel they are known entities because they're in Nigeria. No, snap out of that out of that mentality. If you believe you are in an entity because you are in Nigeria, you will go out into UK and US as to be in an entity. Trust me. You need to snap out that man. I'm not saying people should not transition. Go to UK, go to US. Obviously, better than that. But wherever you find yourself and as you're transitioning, put your skills to good use. For example, in Nigeria now, there's a depth of information. I don't know whatever niche you decide you want to create. Create something around that. You understand? And that is what I did. I mean, my own so let me just give, give um, my own um, small thing. So when I started this, um, I, I obviously I drew inspiration from a lot of people. I drew inspiration from the likes of Dr. Afam, Dr. Ron, Apoko Doctor, from Dr. Kyo. These people inspired me because I actually became very active on social media around like 2021. And so I started doing this whole medical thing and the biggest set of drawbacks and enemies I have in medics, I mean, people were coming on me. Oh, this Dr. Gina guy, he's a cloud chaser. This guy likes to tweet for attention. I mean, it was it will always happen to you. I mean, that's it. I'm sure a lot of people that are in this influencer health space will come on. But obviously, it's your opinion about me. I don't give a damn about what you think about me. What's come to us, if you get insulted, I block you. Not like you are paying me my bills and all that. And I kept on at it. The good thing about social media is that let people hate on you. Those that will appreciate and pay for what you're offering, you will find them. So 
forget people say you are this duty. I mean, you have to build that strongly. I am telling you, it's free, easy money. I'm in my house making the content and I'm making good money because a brand is paying for visibility. So it is something that I feel a lot of doctors, because I see a lot of people that have powerful content. I know you're social media. Many of these contents are not probably getting traction because these guys don't have a lot of followers. But now work with someone closely that has built a platform and let the person carry you on how to do this. And let me tell you, you see the way, I mean, there was someone working there. I won't give the person's name. Hope I'm not taking too much time, bro. But I just wanted to talk about this with the money because no, it's fine. I believe that people don't know that. Yeah. So he reached out to me last month. Do you understand what Dr. Chino? I really want to do into this health influencing thing. I want to, um, my niche is about, you know, oral health and all of that. But I'm always scared. I mean, oh, this guy is from Ibano, you know, but the people are always toxic. I always say, it. if they like, they should block me on this bill. I don't give a damn. So the guy said, but people in Ibano, I know the way this will attack you. They will attack me. I don't know if I'll be able to take it and all of that. I, I really want to put out this content, but I'm just scared. I told him, my guy, don't be scared. I mean, I've met you before. I know you have this powerful content just put it out there this guy was like no that does not want to do it because you know they will say yeah, he's trying to do okay fine so i said don't worry i'll push you someday now so one day i saw there was this trade someone made made about um i think a doctor that died from an infection or something from sorry someone died from a tooth infection or something there was something like that, that went viral and, so, and people did not really understand i mean i usually try not to talk about what i don't i'm not a dentist so i i messaged him and you know hey guy my guy See this, jump on it. This is whatever you see on this will go viral because I mean, most of those that are quoting that tweet, none of them is actually giving one, you know. And this guy jumped on it. This guy that has been scared, I think then he had like 1,000. I said, Don't worry, I am going to quote, I'll retweet and push the tweet. This guy, he jumped on the quoted that tweet, sent it to me. I probably, and that tweet had over like 2 million views. That was the beginning. From the guy that had 2,000, something like 1,000 followers. Right now, he's on like 6K followers. He's getting gigs. Those that want to hate are hating him for additional tips. He had he, that one thing, when he saw what one post can do, he said, no way. Forget, let anybody insult me, I'll do it. The point is, you can also be a health influencer. Many of you have amazing content. Many of you write well. Many of you do what you do. But many of you don't want to put out your health content because you feel there's this niche of doctors or people that will come for you and say, hey, Please do not care about what people think about you. You go out there, just do your thing. And like I said, health influencing is a niche. Brands will pay, trust me. I have worked with over 50 brands. I mean, I'm sure some of the, I've seen some of the CEO of the brands I'm working with, and they will tell you how much I charge for even one tweet. Yeah, I said it. Ron can testify to this. Aspam can testify to this. Dr. Kel can testify to this. It's not capping. You understand? So even say, oh, because I know after doing, you might have a space that I go and see some people sobbing you that, eh, eh, eh. Well, I, I said it before. I really don't care. I said it. I said it. You know, and so you can do it also. You start little by little. You are building, building. You are getting your visibility. Before you know it, you are working with brands. You are working with, that's how it works. And I'm telling you, this is what many, why I had to do this because one thing I noticed in this whole else influencing thing too is that because people don't talk about the money they make and all of that. After you understand that, I felt like if I should maybe say this, I hope it would care up people because I see people that have amazing content, but they are just scared to do what they do. And that's just money wasting. So it's another career opportunity because some people are in it full time. For example, someone like me, apart from being a resident doctor, I still do health influences. And I'm also, I've all come to the talk about health experience. I've also made a foray into the 
health tech space because I'm a CEO of a company. I have shares in some health tech companies. Probably when we get to that, we'll talk about that. But talking about the health, um, listen, this is one thing where we make millions from. And we make these millions from being on social media from our home. So forget all that hatred if it's in you. And if you are, um, you also want to nurture this, please, you can send me a DM after this. And I'll be um, I'll be glad to you know put you through some. I'm sure some of the people that I've been working with are on this space, and they can tell you that they have had growth. Some of them are getting side gigs. Imagine you are getting side gig and you are cashing out millions every month, and some people are wasting their time saying you are giving this, you are giving them tips, you are always tweeting for clout. I mean. Who cares? It's your stand. So do what you have to do. So I'm just encouraging people because I get it a lot of time that I don't want to do this because medics will come from me. Screw what anyone thinks about you. Do what you want to do. Put out your lovely content, curate things, and it will shock you how brands will rush for you. So I, I don't know if you will call that a career or whatever you um, um, want to target, but trust me, you can do it. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Shina. So me too, I'll come out and queue up in your DM so that uh, you help me blow too. Anyway, so I mean, for persons who are looking for, you know, side gig or even a full-time career, this is actually one. So, I mean, on a more serious note, all he has said is actually legit. A, a lot of these health influencers, you know, they're making so much money, uh, you know, doing the content quietly. And I usually say, I think the only big deal is just make sure that whatever content you're putting out there is accurate, you know, medically accurate. And I think that's the only thing I just tell people to ensure so that you're not putting out misleading information for people out there. And the rest is history. I mean, like he said, people are going to come for you. People will come for your neck. But after a while, they will do a U-turn and come and start asking you questions. How do we do this and all of that? So that's one career. So, um, Traveler, I'm going to come to you in a bit. Uh, Dr. Barry, so I know you talked about project management and you know, how you supervise global rollout of products and all of that. So I'll just leave you to start organizing your thoughts around career opportunities around that area. And uh, yeah, I'll come back to you. So Traveler, up to you. Uh, you have the mic now. Go ahead and ask your question. All right, thank you for this opportunity. I hope I'm audible. Loud and clear, um, yes. All right. I'm a final year medical student at the northeastern part of Nigeria currently, about to finish. Um, I have this issue that I would like to get um, an answer from people with experience in public health space and even if not public health or non-clinical practice. So there's this issue I get um, that keeps on getting me confused. Since from medical school, from the first few months of my clinical rotation in the clinicals, I just decided that no, the clinical practice isn't for me. So, and I have this passion for public health. So, but from even from medical school before finishing, I get like silly comments from classmates, from seniors, and from people in the community that once someone asks you, What's your specialty? What do you want to specialize in? And you tell this person, no, I want to specialize in public health and all. So they, I get comments like, wow, you just want to get rich? Uh, no, you just don't want to practice. You don't want to help people. You don't want to. But it's not just that. Like, I cannot cope with the way things are currently in this country. Because with the way I'm seeing, we get told during what rounds and all by consultants and senior research that, look, 
this anesthetic that I know isn't going to put states. It will barely pay your bills. We do it inflation in this country right now. So I tend to like this is difficult. Can I can can people with experience tell us how to cope about it? Because even before finishing getting to the other side, like we get these negative comments. It's like sometimes we still, I, I think like maybe I can maybe should I change or what? So please, I would like to get an insight from um, insight on that. So regarding the um, health um, influencers, mostly I see what I see on the net is before you see um, information, health information from a doctor, you see from several other um, other people like a nurse, a physiotherapist, and all. So like, how do you go about building the the audience? Because it seems like you need to spend a lot of money getting the, um, getting information from the experience, persons and all. So please, I'd like to get an info on that also. Thank you. That's my question. All right. Thank you, Traveler, for your question. Uh, Dr. Barry, I'll leave you to talk about that. Then, Shino, you probably chip in about um, building an audience on you know, social media. Thank you. Barry, over to you. Yeah, so thank you. Um, so, uh, Traveler, this is what every everybody faces, right? But I just want you to um, let's look at social science. Um, if two friends, two good friends go to an exam, they write the exam and then they go check the results together. Uh, if both of them pass, both of them will be happy. If both of them fail, both of them too will be happy. Uh, the consultants say, uh, we failed, we failed. If one person passes and that person fails, the person that failed will not be happy with the person that passed. It's just, the energy just comes, right? So this is what happens. So you're, you're, you're in a niche where people are suffering blindly. It's the same feeling that people have for those that dare to travel abroad. And like, hey, because you're abroad, da, da, da. I mean, they have two legs, they have two hands, they have two eyes. Um, two, two hemispheres of, I mean, brain cells, basically, right? And then they decide not to do it. And then you dare to do it and they call you names. Um, these people do not understand what life is all about, that life is all about giving value and having something in exchange for that value, which is a livelihood. Um, so a quick one, whether you studied medicine, whether you studied business administration, whether you studied zoology, Everybody in the end is looking for something to take home, to eat, to feed their families with. So um, that's what they will tell you because if they've had the, if they had the opportunity, someone has called them to say, "Oh, come and take this angel job. The job pays 800k per month, and then if you travel very often, you have per diem, which is also almost 400k." No, they will tell you they're not saving lives. <laughs> they will tell you they're saving lives, right? So that you're saving that does not mean you will suffer. Um, doctors in Canada had to protest at the time that the salary they were paying was too much. They had to take placards to the streets. Sorry, government people are paying us too much money, right? But they are doing, doing what they are saving lives. Doctors in Sri Lanka are also saving that, but maybe also poor like Nigerians. So um, that's reality. So it's it's up to you. Um, unfortunately, there are so many classmates of ours who are not doing well, and sometimes you have to also find somehow to support them one way or the other. But all of you graduate, and perhaps 
they even scored better in school than you you did, right? So Ekwekwan, do not listen to naysayers. Um, people that uh, are in the same set who always want to defend their ideology, defend their mindsets, defend everything that they do for themselves and call you all sorts of names. People were also asking, well, we spend six years in a pattern and, and say you don't want to practice. Is it your six years? I mean, it's been that spend the six years. Perhaps I even suffered more than 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 you did, right? With all the resistance and so on. But it's my six years, and that's what I choose to do with it. So they do that because they don't know, right? So um unfortunately again, when let's say 20, 30 years ago, once someone was graduating as a medical doctor in Nigeria, one job was waiting for you somewhere. There's a job waiting for you, you finish, they give you a car. But now I heard of a family that when the daughter said you wanted to marry, they said, Who do you want to marry? You want to marry a doctor? You say, Ah, no, we are not married. They are poor. Nigerian doctors are poor. They just said, No, they're not, they not giving, they're not allowed to go into that suffering, right? So um, now again, the master's is not even enough for someone. People have PhD, people have double master's. So gone are the days where you just have a degree and you think that's enough for you to survive. So it's not. So for you to survive, how do you survive? First of all, you have to be, I use that word, street smart. Look at what other people are doing out there. Look at things that people are not looking into. In Nigeria, there are no, they're not, they are not up to 20 aviation physicians in the of Nigeria, right? So we have so many airlines, but these guys are the ones that treat um, pilots, air hostesses, all of those, they certify them to fly. Everyone that's in the airspace, the only last month I checked about just four universities worldwide which, which covers aviation medicine as masters. And of course, MBBS is a criteria, right? These are niche areas. If I was going to study medicine or do anything clinical, I just had a list of five clear areas just going to and be making bloody money, still using the same stethoscope, right? So you need to look out, look at a, a niche that is not even so crowded. Or if you're going to need that is crowded, fine. Find your way, try to fit in, try to make sure that you're the best at it. Um, the NGO space, if I have time to talk about, is is even becoming so scarce and so crowded. Uh, because everybody now knows that money Monday for NGO, Monday for NGO, right? So and then it's a cult. Honestly, NGO space is a cult. That's to be very clear with you. You need to know someone to get in. You need to find a way. It's not like it's not hundred percent, you can find a way, Sha. But for anyone that has a prior NGO experience will always beat you in getting some of the jobs. That's clear. So you need to start by volunteering. And then the land that volunteering is also another pathway. So they're making it difficult for people to volunteer. You in the north, it might be easier for you to volunteer in the north or in, 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 in Brano and so on. There are lots of opportunities there, right, for you to volunteer. So in the nutshell, you can do anything. Don't listen to necessarily look at your life. Look at how you want to live your life because in the end, people would always say what they want to say. People come up to me. I, I've seen consultants living full, full, full consultancy roles and CND roles and going to the UK to start life all over again. It's difficult for them, right? If they had known this way earlier, it wouldn't have been this difficult. And let me be clear, Nigeria would be worse. I'm not professor, it's just reality. You follow trends. It's a forecast to be worse. Um, I knew in med school that uh, consultants, people that were doing residence, were not going to have consultancy role, consultant roles because you need to wait for the consultants that are in those roles. If they need five consultants in UCH or they need 10 consultants in, in a particular department, you need to wait for them to retire or die before you can get in. 
the, the government will not employ more for you to for you to, to get in. Then if you have don't have money to start a private practice, um you'll be doing local as consultant, between PP as consultant. And many of many people in there. So people just jump because they don't know what to do with their lives. They think met um have to be a consultant to make it in their life. So don't follow that bandwagon, think differently. So I'm still gonna I'm still in my time is money and I'm thinking of how to really come up with um, a, a holistic uh, mentorship program that you benefit from. Sorry, I'm very, I'm a structured person. And then I'm in a country that is also very structured. Germany is very structured. So I think very structured. Um, so I'll, I'm taking my time to review it, looking at just 200 people to kind of have one meeting a week or two meetings in a month, you know, two hours, and we deal, dig deep on different stuff, right? Um, you do some assessments yourself, you write your your plan, your five-year plan, a rich picture, all of those stuff. You take care of your finances because it's, it's holistic. Your relationships too have to matter. How you see life, a lot has to be in play, right? Uh, because this is what makes a total man. But I'll stop there. Um, I don't know, uh, Dr. Ron, you want me to talk about project management or yeah, something? Just or? hold on, I'll, I'll bring okay. you up for that. So, Shino, okay. um, he also talked about um, how do you get to build your audience on social media? So I just thought you might just want to chip in one or two things about building an audience on social media. Okay, all right. Good evening. Mic check once again. Am I audible? So La I have to do that. So loud and clear. Time. Okay. Um, am I clear? Yes, you are. Hello, Ron. Can yes, you hear me? yes, I can hear you. Yes, go ahead, please. Okay, okay. all right. So, thank you for that question. So, building an audience, I think firstly, it's to start with um, do you have the flair for content creation? Because an audience will only want to engage and listen or subscribe to someone who has value to give. So, that's the first thing you have to ask yourself. You understand? Now, if, if your answer to that is yes, kudos. Now, the next phase is what exactly do you want to be known for? Like, you understand that? The first thing, because you have to carve out a niche. Now, I usually tell people, like, if you want to um, be build, if you want to build an audience, you must be known for one thing, because this is the way the brain functions. For everything you see, the brain attaches something to something. I'll give an example. For example now, um, okay, let me use, for example, some people. Um, I'll, I'll use some of doctors in the in this health space, and I'll use some people for popular people on Twitter. I'll just explore. For example, if you if you come across Tundi or Nokoya, seventy percent of times you it's something he's talking about is either charity or chess. Yes or no? Yes. If you come across Ekiti um, Pekin, I mean, I mean, I'm on Twitter. We all know these people. Seventy to eighty percent of times, most of what you'll find is uh, at sports betting. If you come across the handle Apropo Doctor, 70 to 80% of time, I'm not saying people don't talk about other niches, 70 to 80% of time, it's something health. So drink water, um, you know, don't use this, make health, health related. That is it. You <laughs> must have out a niche. If you're going to, if your niche is sports or you, where your niche is, you want to be a doctor, but you want to explore sports, you must be consistent in that niche because the way the algorithm works is that. It is going to be the Twitter algorithm is like it's like a robot. It's learning what you are putting out and it's going to push that to people that want to see, people that are interested in what to what you are selling. So for example, if today you spend 
70 tweets on football. Tomorrow, 30 tweets on betting. Next tomorrow, 51 tweets on politics. Um, next three days' time, you understand? They need it to be so difficult for the algorithm to actually, deep inside you, say your nature is not to do health. Then maybe you know, one week time you tweet something about health. The algorithm would have problems pushing out your content. So you will notice that the day you actually push out the health content, you will probably not get the engagement because you are not, you don't have that niche that people people can put you in one thing. So for example, is you have to be able to be able to have one day. I'm not saying don't, I mean, explore that thing. I mean, I myself, I bands, I do other things. But 70 to 80% of time, if that so-called and called video question of pops on your timeline, you know this guy is most likely talking something health or medical. Simple. And that is the way the algorithm works. And that is you need to study, you want to you have to understand the algorithm. That's one. Then and, and that also covers consistency. So with that, you're consistent with whatever you want to create. Then two is you also have to try to have a great mastery of whatever you're putting out. Now, um, the thing is you you and, and it's very easy, Google search or whatever, because if you're putting out a lot of content. Um, you know, Twitter that after a lot of people are you know highly cerebral, they would um try to uh, apart from digest, they try to like fact check what you're putting out. And if you're that yeah, I, I found that most of what you're putting out is always wrong, 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 wrong. Obviously, people will not take you serious. So you must also be sure that what you put out is very good. Then three, I actually say is that work with people that have already built an audience in the niche. For example. If you, I, I'll use health because I'm sure the, I, I don't know who asked the question because my network was, I, I don't know what was that, I was not really hearing much. But if it's a health need, for example, you, you, it will be good to also follow people that have built stuff in that. Niche. Because if those people repost, reshare, or retweet your stuff or quotes, yeah. people, your brand will be getting visibility. So it's very, very important. You understand? I, I mean, it's very, very, very important because those people already have an audience that know that this is what we like from this person. You understand? I mean, we want to see this person sell stuff. You understand? They are the the um the algorithm has mastered their own audience. When you are coming in that space, if that person reposts, retweets your tweet, it is going to go to that um audience, and you get the engagement. It's not rocket science. Then you keep up at that. Then the next thing I need to say is. You need to develop thick skin. Thick skin. For example, if you're going to go into health influencing, and I usually say with people like, for health influencing, the number one obstacle of people you are going to face is doctors. Yeah, doctors will come for you. A lot of doctors believe, why are you having your idea? I'm practicing medicine. Why are you talking medicine on social media? I mean, you, you see all those comments. You must not allow it to get to you now. Fact check. I mean, there are a lot of doctors here that we used to be on. I used to be on good terms with them when I joined Twitter, but I don't even interact with their tweets again because these people don't even they don't do constructive criticism. They will be following you. They will never share your stuff. But once is a is a tweet that is controversial, you will see them hovering like vultures around your quotes. You understand? You're going to get a lot of that. <laughs> so you need to understand that you need to develop thick skin. You don't have to allow. I mean. I love people that, um, I mean, um, love constructive criticism. Nobody is perfect. Even in this, you could make a mistake. You understand? Oh, message press privately. Oh, this, this, this. You know, or even if you're going to comment openly. Oh, um, okay. Um, you there's a way. But you see some people, you just see them quote in a very condescending manner. Well, for me, I, I, I use my blog button because I really don't have time to, you understand. And some people, I might just say, let me just keep following them because I've known them from, you understand? But I really... 
I'm just going to press it. And it's, I, I think it's one thing you should do is match the energies people give you. Because there are some people that would always give you that to share, repost, comment. They would, you understand? And these are things that would help you build your audience in, in, in this space of health influencing. But there are some people that they will never, ever share whatever you are putting out there. But they are always just going to be there to do destructive criticism. Two ways to go about that. Either you follow such people or block them. It's simple. You don't really, you understand, but it's always good. Constructive criticism is very good. You understand? And whether you like it or not, I mean, everybody, you will see that it's the same, it's the same principle that everybody, um, you know, um, uses. And with time, gradually, gradually, you will just one day to happen that there will just be one post that will just go viral. And that's the beginning of building your audience. And people will be liking you before you know. For example, a lot of times people will come up with how come most, almost everything in Twitter goes viral? I mean, most of them is like people would be tagging me to those people that Dr. Shino, what do you have to say about this? You understand? And I just dropped my two tools. And because I've already built that audience, the audience will, will help you push it. So that is what you can do, but it's consistency. Like I said, I I I got active on Twitter around the ending of 2020. So I've just been on Twitter for three years. You understand? And I think I've had a mental and follow people that will don't 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 follow people that all they do is just put toxicity and nasty stuff to your posts. You understand? For example, the medics here. I mean, I follow a lot of medics, but I, I follow medics that I know that are very supportive. I mean, there are a lot of people. I think some of them on this paper. Anytime they even react to your stuff, it's just always condescending or we just um, a lot of times I probably would just maybe unfollow such people or just block or you understand know, some of things. I mean, you don't need me, I don't need you. It's it's your stuff. But follow some people that they will dedicate their time. I mean, I could give you a lot of names of the people that will support you here. Yeah. But I, I, I don't want to because there are over 200 and something people on this page. I don't want some people to feel left out. But there are a whole lot of people here that will give you a share. They will say, Hey guys, please follow this account. That is the way you build your audience. Gravitate those people that will give you positive energy to build that push. And like I said, consistently, consistently, you will get to the point that your brand, your tweet, will contents to be heavily monetized. Because usually, brands are out there looking for people to work with. And all these things, I think brands are not seeing. Trust me, they are seeing. Before you know it, just get a DM. Please, we saw you like to tweet a lot about cleaning the air well we have this we would like you to give us positions and be like we're offering you this it happens and i'm sure i hope dr Teotu will also i'm sure she's coming in next talk she will give you um she will tell you about all of this so there's it's not about 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 apart from giving the fact there's a lot of money some of us charge millions for campaigns for months i'm telling you it's the truth so yes so why would one person's opinion who, who, who feels they can be destructive then count when I'm not saying I'm perfect, but even if you want to correct someone, you can correct in love. You understand? Correct the person in love, and you understand. You all grow together. So there's no point trying to say, "Oh, why are you doctors on the timeline?" You know, I mean, all the stuff you see. You see, I'm always seeing some doctor on the timeline commenting. Is it your business that commenting? If you have problems with them, unfollow them. Let those that want to comment on that doctors on timeline comment. If it's your headache, unfollow them. Simple. It's a big space. Do what you want to do and let people do what they have to do. And like I said, you will face this. So get ready for it. If you want to go with this health insurance journey, it's, it's something you cannot run away from. Dr. Kel will come here. She will also tell you her experience. It will come. You're going to face feminism. Going to, I mean, all those things will come. But you need to develop a thick skin. And don't forget what I said. Be open to constructive criticism, 
and make sure you partner, follow people that will give you positive energy. Trust me, you will need it because people are going to be condescending and come for you. That like, why are you giving health this? Why are you talking medical? Are you the only one? They're always chasing clouds. You're always doing Come on, all of those bullshit doesn't put money in anyone's pocket. You do what you want to do, do your facts and all of that. And trust me, I will be glad to work with you if you are in this on this space and you also want to explode. Um, um I've I've done stuff with um in growing brands for Dr. with Dr. Ron, Dr. Afam also have a group and all of that. So I'll be glad to also, you know, push it to you. We usually have like meetings where we explore strategies and stuff to grow to grow audience and um, people will tell you be fruitful. So you can always send me a DM. My DMs are open. All right, thank you very much. Uh thank you so much, uh Shina. That was quite um insightful. Dr. Kell, I'm still gonna come for you. Uh traveler, I hope that has been able to clear some of the uh concerns you have. So, Nyaka, quickly, one minute, just uh, you have the floor. Hi, good evening. I don't know if you can hear me clearly. Loud and clear. Okay, so thank you. So, I, I just wanted to chip in about um, the guy that asked the question about public health and what people ask you, what do you do? Um, is public health even a thing? Why? See, uh, one thing I'm going to tell you is people underestimate public health. They, they try to think it's something you do when the clinical part is not working. No, that's that's not true. For people like us that went to public health, we've actually liked public health right from med school, even though we didn't have a lot of mentors. So the, the thing about it is that when you're in medical school, you're not surrounded by people who actually call public health special because you don't get to see them a lot in medical school. You see them working in health financing, health policy, health system strengthening. I've worked a lot in health system strengthening and health policy. And I can tell you one of the ways you can wield influence is in the health policy. So you can come to a table that discussing health policy, discussing people's salaries, or how you're going to make pain. And you realize you may, you're just out of 10 people, there are just two doctors there talking about what is going to affect people's lives. And that's what people do not know about public health. There is so much in public health, there's so much to do. People think it's just about um, working. There are so many aspects to public health. So, one of the things I'll tell you, I'll just advise for the young man that asked that is first of all, close your ears. Is nobody's business where you're heading to. You want to get into public health, it's fine. Sometimes you don't even know where you want to get in. So you may just want from have a feel and then you get it. For some of us, we were opportune to have worked in an organization that it was just a chance thing and we got caught up with the vibes and we loved it and we said, you know what, this fits my personality, this pays me the money, this gives me time and it allows me to express myself and I'm getting big good money doing it. And then we went in. So if, when you talk about these things, and let me let don't be mistaken, in public health you do a lot of reading, you do a lot of research, you do a lot of writing, you do a lot of talking. So it's not just about people thinking it's for lazy people. I can tell you the amount of data you have to analyze, the amount of papers you have to read in a day, and the information you have in the morning in public health can get expired by evening. That's that's the beautiful. It's always evolving. So um, it's an exciting field. Maybe one of the days we are going to discuss public about how I don't mind coming to chip in. But there is so much to do, and there is always everything for everybody. There is public health for obstetrics and gynecology. There is radiology. There is public health for radiology. Everything is still tied to public health. So um, I'll, I'm going to stop here. If there's any other thing to chip in, I'll, I'll talk about it. But don't be discouraged. 
come in, have a feel. If it's something you want to do, you continue. If it's not something you want to do, you can move ahead. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Unyeka. I mean, you're quite right. I mean, there's no aspect of medicine that is easier than anyone. All of them, they, they have their challenges, they have their issues and all of that. So most times it beats my imagination when people think uh, maybe their own specialty is better than others and they keep looking down on others as if um, they didn't go to school anyway. That's conversation for another day. I think, yes, Barry, we'll probably have to do, uh, well, when we get back, we'll still talk about this. We'll, we'll still have to do more spaces on all of these um, issues to bring them to bear. So Dr. Kerr, I'll come to you in a bit where, I mean, you work in the, health influencing space. You also work in the digital transformation space. You are a digital nomad now. You're always moving around from Kenya to Rwanda to wherever. So you order, I want you to give us some insight as to the opportunities that lie in that space uh, immediately after Dr. Barry uh, speaks around project management. So if you're just joining us, we are talking about surviving medical school and career opportunities for healthcare professionals especially those who are looking for something to do outside the clinics and um, please share this post or link with other people who you think uh, might benefit from this and yeah barry over to you project management and the opportunities that lie within project management mm. so pm project management is actually I call it the job of all, all trades, basically. Um, yeah, so a project manager is uh, responsible for successful implementation um, of, of a project. It can be anything. Um, but for us, I think it's going to be more for the help because that's your background, right? So you know more, you, you you fit more in the health in the in the health system, right? And um so for a project manager, a lot of skill sets needs to be in place. One, and I call it the most important one is pe people skills, because um you're trying to tell people what to do. And you're also trying to support people to get to do what they need to do. And you might find yourself being surrounded by people that are older than you or your superior, basically, in, in that role. And you, you need to let them or you need to influence them to do what you want or what they need to do, right? So a lot of people's skills are involved. Um, you also need a lot of um, strategy skills and then soft skills soft two skills, right? Um, all the necessary tools, project management tools and skills, Excel skills, which data analytics, very, very important. Um, if you have business skills, fine too, right? But it depends on the projects that you're trying to manage. So for me, I mean, I started clinical medicine and then I got into the NGO space. That's public health in Nigeria and then from Nigeria, um, I moved to full pure business strategy and business operations, and they had to learn a lot of about about operations in in that scope. Oh, of course, I had an MBA, so it was easier for me to understand major structures and systems. And then I moved back to global health, but in the pharma role, like a funder, 
and they had to get extra funding and so on. And then after that, I moved again out of global health. So well, why am I mentioning all of this? Your knowledge about the industry or your knowledge about that, that, that niche is very, very important. So when I moved to the medical device regulatory space, it was tough for me initially because I'm like, ah, this is it's both law, both business, both a whole lot happening, structures in, in the EU and so on. It was a bit tough, but I didn't have the knowledge there, like the core technical knowledge to survive in that roof at first. But my project management skills were just so top-notch that within two months, I was just doing things that everybody in the team was like, ah, this guy, in two months, you're able to do this. I was already surviving, but I felt I was not strong enough. My boss was like, you're okay, you're very okay. In this role, you need two years to fully understand the whole business, right? So, so just to go back, um, it must not be what you need to do, but it might be a survival skill in the end. Um, you can go for PMI, Project Management Institute, so they have this PMP certificates, Project Management Professional that will give that you you can you can you can do. It teaches you budgeting, um, project planning, execution. You you have to know a whole lot. Uh, so it's a mix of both business, both uh, technical skills, both social skills. So I mean, I don't have a particular textbook or particular definition to give people, I, think, I don't know if what I've tried to describe would be okay. So for example, let's say you go, let's, okay, let's say, okay, now, if they tell me now to, 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 to install or to establish uh, a chain of hospitals like banks in Nigeria, I will be able to do it clearly. Why am I saying I'll be able to do it? I know it can be done. But for my project to be very successful, I have to look at the risk. So I'm going to look at more for my German training, what is not going to work. Um, I'll, my interest will be more in what is not going to work. And if I can tackle through my risk management what I'm, what is not going to work, then I must have solved half of the problem because many other things will go smoothly. So you have to understand the environment, understand you need to put engineers on the table, you need to be involved in the design of the hospitals that's the infrastructure who are we going to uh what machines are we going to buy what's our business model a whole lot is involved in project management so um but i think for a good start you there are short courses on on, on project management that one can do some are free um a pmp might be good i don't have a pmp i don't think i need a pmp because i've had donkey years in this in this whole thing I'm, I'm even more interested in change management, which is more soft skills and so on. So, um, but for one to understand better and to want to consider that role, um, try glossing through a PMP material to understand better and see whether if it's your person, but you have to be um, this person that's close with everyone. You have to know how to resolve conflict. You have to know how to avoid conflicts a whole lot, your person, right? And I mean, for most of my roles, I've always managed my superiors. I've always been in roles where I'm managing my my my, my managers or the the heads of the organization. I know how to deal with them. I know how to also push their hand to do what they need to do too. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers it, Ron. Yes, thank you. I think that quite answers it. If anybody's got any questions, please um, you know request for the mic or send me a DM. And I'll gladly 
bring you up to ask your question. You know, just to add a little flesh on um, what Dr. Barry has said, I mean, as a project manager in the healthcare space, I mean, you can still manage projects outside the healthcare space anyway, but as a PM in the project um, healthcare space, you could be a hospital project manager. Like he said, you're looking over projects related to hospital infrastructure, expansion and facility upgrades. You could look at healthcare IT project management where you're looking at the um, implementation of you know, health information systems like EHRs, EMRs, devices and all of that. It could be a clinical project manager where you are leading clinical trials, leading research studies, healthcare interventions. Uh, I'll still bring uh, Shade to talk about a bit of this. Then making sure you comply to protocols and regulations. You could be a quality improvement manager where you're looking at improving healthcare quality and patient safety by leading all these initiatives and um, process optimization uh, project. I think last month Tolu and Tolu organized um, a class, a whole month class, where we talked about quality improvement because that's where he operates in and it was quite uh, helpful. You could become a health operations manager where you are looking at the day-to-day -day operation of facilities, clinic departments and all of that, or you could be overseeing projects at population health level where you want to improve um, the health of specific populations or communities. Um, these guys most times focus on preventive care and healthcare promotion. Then if you're in the core IT space, you, you're looking at things around health tech product manager, digital health project manager, health tech startup project manager, health tech consultant, data project manager, uh, telehealth program manager. So there is a lot you can do in the health care space by just having you know, project management um, experience so i just thought i should um highlight some of those opportunities for people with project management skills uh where is dr care i think twitter has kicked that out again so uh shadi i know you're in the clinical research space so quickly could you just run us through the opportunities that lie in that um, space and uh, how much you're making i know money is a good motivating factor <laughs> for a lot of people yeah how much I'm making? When I'm coming around my house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, okay, so I'll just start with this. There are, there are, I can say there are so many opportunities available in clinical research globally. You know, and I can say there are so many, you know, opportunities as well in Nigeria. But there are some peculiarities that make it very. It's quite a bit of a weird landscape. You know. Uh, but it's it's really very interesting. So first off, let me say that the opportunities that are available in Nigeria are principally suboptimal to global standards. You know, um, when it comes to opportunities, the sheer number of opportunities that are available, the pay that is available, the treatment that you receive from the companies, the kind of contracts that they offer you, the terms within those contracts, those are all things that you should be very very wary of. Uh, because clinical research is a very contracts-based, um, you know, part of medicine. And as doctors, we're not usually very aware of what we're signing because we usually think we're just and all that. But having been, you know, in that space for a while now, I'll, I'll just start with that so that you, everybody holds on to that. Um, when it comes to clinical research again in Nigeria, the spaces aren't very many because the opportunity has been 
very, very, the opportunities are very few because the industry is very young. Yeah. Pharmaceutical medicine globally is still very young. And then even in Nigeria, it's even younger than typical because, um, how do I put this? Drug development and all of those things weren't really focused or inclusive for Africans before. They weren't really focusing on Africa. It, the pharmaceutical industry is not an altruistic industry. They're not in it for to help people just for the sake of helping people. They need to make money and help people. And a lot of, when you think about the fact that one investigational product, a new drug, takes about 12 years to, to go from conception or preclinical phase to a first four trial, it's very, um, it's very it's a very expensive process. It costs millions of dollars. And so they tend to want to go where either they can make a lot of money or where people can pay for the medications. And a lot of drugs that come to Africa are usually very discounted or they're hoping to make the money from volume, you know. So they're looking at things like hematology and sickle cell disease and the likes. So it's kind of challenging to find those opportunities. But if you're looking at some you know, if so, I'm going to divide the opportunities into the ones that are for core clinical trials and then the ones that are pharmaceutical industry generally. As a doctor, you can work along either side. Historically, a lot of pharmacists have been medical science liaisons and medical sales reps and all of those things and medical writers because doctors were usually like in the hospital. But increasingly, more and more of us are ending up in medical affairs and medical affairs is now broader, you know, and has taken over some of the spaces as well, uh, you know, to include medical science liaisons and clinical medical advisors like myself. Um, so the opportunities are not very many, unfortunately. I'll keep saying that. Uh, I know that. I know that some of the big ones like Icon, you know, PDC, Worldwide, and the rest of them are now playing in Nigeria. And unfortunately, with the whole don't hire Nigerian doctors, Nigerian doctors are not even enough for Nigeria, where, you know, which I'm sure that a lot of the people who are doing PLAB and the likes are very aware of. You you can't really find offers so easily unless your 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 experience is you know significant and and the company wants to come and do some things in Nigeria. That's why the opportunities aren't very many. But every year, more and more CROs are opening up, and those are clinical research organizations, and they need capacity. And so we've been training a couple of people, and I've been working on that for let's see about eighteen months now. Where I've been, you know. I'm glad that I've been able to help some people create capacity and find placements as well. But the opportunities, <laughs> oh, we, we still need a lot more, uh, you know, organizations to come down here to Nigeria and create those jobs. Um, but the rules are increasingly there. Uh, some of the courses that you could do, which, you know, truth be told, I haven't even done any of them just because I was, you know, I was privileged to get an opportunity, you know, earlier when capacity was still very, very few. And then I've been able to use that experience and leverage that to get to the next couple of levels in my career. And I'm very, really, very happy with that. Um, but one of the courses that I could do is the BCMAS, Certified Medical Affairs Specialist. I don't think there are, I started checking on LinkedIn about a month ago, and there are only three people in Nigeria who have that. One of the three of them is um, this guy, Chibike. And he's got, um, we got to talking and, and he was able to write to them to require, to, you know, to, request sponsorship when it was in NYSC. And so it was lucky enough, he got a first job with Johnson & Johnson, which is a pharmaceutical, you know, Janssen is the pharmaceutical arm of Johnson & Johnson. I was able to get a job with them and I know that they were paying really well. Um, and then I work currently, I started out with Exin Research uh, and then I work currently with, you know, PDCCRO and, you know, seconded to Icon, which was a very good gig. Um, I don't get paid in Naira, so that's that's one thing that has been advantageous as well. 
سو از اکانومی از بین گوین دام از اکانومی اندیدار از بین
right? It's your MBBS. So I would suggest that if you really are interested, you start to practice along that line, start to learn, start to read, um, start to write. Once you've read a few things, start to write. Even if all you're writing are questions that are occurring to you and the wishes that you had, that you wish that you had an answer to. Um, and then this, about two months ago, I started to write a book just to, you know, serve as a guide because to push out the information that I wish that I had starting out into this pipeline. So those are all things that you could start to do. Uh, you know, to to get your opportunity because truth be told, the opportunities aren't that many in in Nigeria. There are more in South Africa, in in Kenya even as well as in Ghana. I mean, yesterday I looked on LinkedIn just you know for shits and giggles to see uh what what is available out there, and I noticed that there are no medical advisory roles currently open, but there are a couple in in there. There are so many in South Africa and a few as well in Ghana and in Kenya, but there is none in Nigeria. So those are the things that we've been trying to work on that I've been trying to talk about that I've been trying to, you know, see if we could improve the inclusivity of Nigerians and Africans generally in clinical research. And that's why I started um, a little bit of a company. <laughs> I'm not ready to talk about that yet in the open market, but yes, I'm, I'm working on a couple of things. And so hopefully maybe in the nearest future, within the next year or so, I might be able to personally hire some of the people that have been able to help develop capacity for managing clinical trials. For those who want to go to the UK, there are so many opportunities available, honestly, especially if maybe a doctor might be a doctor, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your doctor, and you guys are going together, somebody's on plan, and being as a dependent. Because sometimes they don't want to give you sponsorship. But if you don't require sponsorship, then you can go um, and get a job in clinical trial management or in a pharmaceutical company or in a clinical research company as well. This, they always have so many opportunities open. Um, another funny thing about the the UK is that you can go into pharmaceutical medicine specialty training, and it is only available in the UK, which is something that I personally want to, you know, I, I'm hoping to begin very soon. Recent couple of exams, and I'm waiting to hear back. Um, so if you do manage to become one of the pharmaceutical, um, so you become a fellow of pharmaceutical training FPM you know, just like MRCOG and the rest of them. So there's actually a clear career path for those doctors who still want to have some sort of residency and they want to be consultants in that sense. You can also become a consultant in the other sense, like, you know, just like IT consulting, as they say, you know, just a consultant like that. Because that's principally what I do. So if you are a clinical research company trying to come down into sub-Saharan Africa or the African space, then I can give you tips, pointers, competitor analysis, stuff along that line to ensure proper setup and, you know, start off for such an organization. So those are opportunities that are available for you, even if you have not really worked in that sense. If you put out enough content, just like it's on Twitter, if you put out enough content along that line, you become a key opinion leader. And you really want to be a key opinion leader in any aspect of medicine that you get into because that's really how you start to matter. And the more you start to matter, the more people will pay to have you speak at their programs or have you teach their teams. I think the very first time that I was asked to speak or teach a team in Abuja about something like that, it was 500,000 naira for a day. And that was when I was any 250,000 naira back then. <laughs> For a month. So <laughs> with all the experiences pain and, and the trip, and it, it was very, very special to me back then because that was the highest I had been paid for my medicine, for my technical know-how. And I would have done it for free, truth be told, because I really just I'm, I mean I'm very passionate about the industry. So it's um there's there's um there's project managers as well. Um I know a couple of my friends and colleagues have PMI. I am planning to take that within the next few months as well to to write that. Uh, because 
I mean, because basically because my husband is doing it and I've been listening to it, you know, the <laughs> the videos, you know, while he's listening to to them, and it's been it's been beneficial for me. And so I'm going to take the exam as well. Uh, and and but then there are courses for you know maybe CCPRN as well that you can take if you want to be a clinical research project manager. That's that's a job. You know that's an opportunity, and they're paid very high. in 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 the UK, in the US, they're paid much better in the US because really the FDA, the US is really where most of the clinical research things happen, and in Canada as well. Less so in the UK, but the opportunities are there, obviously. But so in the US, you could get upwards of two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars per annum to do what we do in Nigeria. I'm not paid that high, but you know I'm I'm paid well enough to be at car with my colleagues in the UK. So you could um in the UK uh, I think you could get anywhere from fifty to hundred depending on how good you are, what your experience is. If you have ABPI final signature, which is another certification that I don't have, that I <laughs> will only be able to have when I finally relocate. You know, so there are so many opportunities that are open within the clinical research landscape. Uh, some of them are also teaching. So some I, I know a couple of you know organizations that want to have um, some sort of academy here preempting the eventual boom in clinical research that is coming up. So um, let me just Absolutely. share this. Pre-COVID, yeah, uh, about two years pre-COVID, I remember I was speaking with a couple of friends and I think even, even also then I said, oh, I want to do a master's in, you know, that can help me with like a pandemic preparedness that it won't look like it's due for a pandemic. And then when COVID, it was like, huh. But then I put that body because it was 10 million naira back then and, you know, for children, and it was in Italy, so I would have had to learn another language and all of that. I didn't have that kind of financial support, so I couldn't do that. But the point is, try to forecast where you think medicine is going. If you're going to choose any one of these career paths, try to forecast where you think, you know, what you think would be the biggest needs, the biggest gaps in the industry that you're passionate about, in medicine, in healthcare generally, and try to bridge that gap. We've seen the boom that artificial intelligence has brought in. So those of us who have been interested in digital health from the beginning, we had a bit of an edge. And so, I mean, when I was going to get my first job within clinical research, I was coming off being an operations manager in a digital um, health company. I was coming off the back of, you know, being a telemedicine lead. I was coming off the back of, you know, just doing some weird things like that that are not typically what you find out of doctors doing. And so that technical, that computer friendliness in my job, you know, in my experience was, you know, was a benefit for me. Just like, you know, volunteering in an NGO would be a benefit for you if you're seeking a job in those environments. So there are so many opportunities out there. Um, and it's only going to get bigger and it's only going to get better because those companies increase. I know of a fact that within this past year alone, I've been doing some tracking and there have been um, 10 new clinical research organizations here alone, like that I know of that me alone in my little world, and I don't work in NAVDAC, so I don't have complete figures, but there have been 10 new strong ones that I personally know the CEOs of. And I would say that that's, that's a very good sign. Um, most of them are also registered in the US. And so that's a very good sign that they would pay you well as well. Um, you can leverage LinkedIn to find a job. You can use Upwork to find a job. You can go on Indeed to find a job. Those are all places where you can get a job. And what some of the benefits of this job is, um, 
I mean, I've been working from home all year long. I've been in my house, you know, so I'm not feeling this whole transportation, logistics problem, well, other issues. But you have to be connected to the internet all the time and you have to have light all the time. So all the money you're not going to spend on, well, you save it together, buy an inverter, you know, funny little things like that. But you have time. You know, you, you start to realize that um, beyond money and beyond running the rats racing and out of your nine to five, you have a lot of flexibility. I, it was when I started to work in clinical research that I was able to finally attend a PTA meeting for my son. My son is nine now. And that was the first time I was able to attend a PTA meeting. When I got into clinical research about three years ago, that I was able to attend a PTA meeting for the very first time. And and that for me was a turning point, you know, where if my kid is ill, I could just call and say, um, First of all, I wasn't even going into the office physically every day. I was going in two, maybe three times a week sometimes, but two, maybe once a week. And then I could call ahead and say, oh, I'm, I mean, I, I can't work physically today. I need to be home. My kid is not feeling fine. And I could, I had that whole experience. Whereas when I was working in, in the hospital, I could have a cannula in my hand. I'd be treating the patient. Both of us are patients and I'm still treating. So those are the issues that make some of us want to look into, you know, something different, something more than just helping one person at a time. So if, if all of that speaks to you, it's very financially rewarding. It's it, Most of us just want to work, do baby girl, and go home. So it's a very good work culture most of the time. Um, we're playing. There's a lot of traveling involved for a lot of us. There's a lot of, in, you know. So uh, to mention the soft skills that you would require, communication is a very big part of all of that. You have to be able to talk to people, public speaking. You must be able to make an elevator pitch, sell snow to an Eskimo sometimes. So those are the things that you need to be able to do. Just be able to read, write, like IELTS, but eight sometimes, you know, and I think you'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Shade. I mean, this thank has you. really been um, insightful and I'm very much conscious of time. We initially planned this to be two hours and, um, we are just five minutes past the three hour mark so um this is not the this is not going to be last one we're still going to have subsequent um editions of this because we can't really exhaust all of these conversations in one space so uh chimobi i'll just give you the opportunity to ask your question then we'll begin to wrap up you have the mic okay good evening everybody yeah, good evening. Okay. I'm a total day medical student at Bingham University. And I so I'm so sorry, I wasn't here when other people were talking, but I was here when Dr. Olusina was talking about being an, an influencer on Twitter. So he he centered around giving value as as someone who, who wants to gain a lot of followers that you also need to 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 find your niche. So my question is. As a medical student, how would you be able to give that kind of value, giving giving such a diverse audience of people, and further, it takes time for people to trust you and things like that. As a medical student, but obviously, if you're a doctor, I think if you, if you give health tips, people might want to follow you because of the fact that you're a doctor. But being a medical student, how can you craft value for people so that you can build the following still as a medical student? Thank you. All right, Shina, uh, that's that's for you to tackle quickly, maybe in one minute, just help him out. All right, mic check. Am I very audible? Yeah, loud and loud and clear. 
Okay, all right. Thank you very much for the question. So, just a second, I'll try to answer that. Yes, this is usually a, a, a complaint a lot of medical students have. And I mean, how do people get to trust me? Yes, I understand that part is there. But the thing is, don't forget the health space is a big space. You know, um, just like I mentioned earlier, that you are putting out content that you're very sure of. And one thing is, who says a medical student cannot, um, I mean, put out healthy tips? Now, for example, imagine you've um, you know, you've gone to lectures. And um, maybe today in surgery lecture, you, you 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 did something about breast cancer. October is a month of um, breast cancer awareness, and you make a video or a content around breast cancer. I mean, that does not stop anyone from sharing. Because obviously, the scope of maybe the conversations you can hold and on maybe the answers and all of that might be limited because you've not maybe started practicing or no don't or you don't know the answer to some. But trust me, there's always something in you can be comfortable with in your own space that you can put out. It's a big space. Now you can even start um health influencing from the little little things you learned from um school. Maybe it's all today you learned that um Whenever a patient is coughing, apart from tuberculosis, there's something called paragonomiasis, which they could have from eating crap. I mean, just something you put it out there and you just share something around what you've learned. That's the path of content creation. It can be so simple. It does not have to be all that bogus or something. You understand? So in your own space, what you think is so literal and so trivial is something that can actually go a long way to... um you know, touch someone. And you can also follow the big rigs also who can also pick and um, put you through all of that. And if you have questions, I do have a lot of people that medical students, when they share content and people have questions and all of that, I just try to explain stuff to them privately all this and this and all that. We are all learning. So no one is a master of health influence. And, it, and trust me, the space is so big enough for everyone and nobody is occupying anyone's space. So trust me, wherever you want to put, go ahead, fire on. Understand. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Shina, for that um, answer. Rather, uh, Chimobi, I hope that has been able to, you know, clarify your doubts or questions as to how you can, you know, build a little bit of credibility on um, social media while you're still in med school. Um, so we're beginning to wind down, and uh, we'll begin to take. Uh, last words from all the speakers and like i said we'll still do this again some other time uh jonathan i think you'll be the last person i'll give the mic to ask your question so go ahead 30 seconds please hello jonathan jonathan wisdom Hello, Jonathan, are you there? I guess not, so um, let me check. All right, that's fine, we'll just go ahead um, quickly. Um, so in no particular order, uh, Shade, parting words for the audience. Um, I just want to say for anybody who wants to, I mean, if you, if you are a hospital doctor, if you are a clinical physician, you would be seeing one patient at a time. If you are working in public health or clinical trial management, every medication that you're part of developing could help people even after you're dead, you know, and that for me is something that really appeals to me, that capacity to help even 
forever. I mean, think about the people who discovered penicillin. They're still helping till date. And this was, I mean, think about the people who developed quinine. They're still helping till now. And I think that that really appeals to me. So if you're somebody who is detail-oriented, you don't mind speaking to people, um, you would much rather work from your house and attend a thousand meetings than physically go and cut somebody open and fix what's wrong with them. You want to try to help from afar. You want to help develop medical devices and change how we actually help people, how your colleagues in the hospital actually help people. You like doing projects. You like to, do, you know, you want your work day to be a little bit different. You know, you don't want to do the same thing every single day, then maybe this is something that you want to look into. And I like it. I enjoy it. And especially if you're female, for example, <laughs> uh, it helps me. It, I mean, it, it really helped me be a better parent. And, and so for that, I'm really thankful to God for helping me get to this point in my career. I don't know if I'll be doing this or exactly this or even different down the line. But for right now, I really love it. And I'm very thankful to be here. And it will be nice to have more of you join us. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Shadi, for gracing our platform. Dr. Pepe, over to you. Parting words. Um, sorry, guys. I've been in and out. So um, I think it's been a very wonderful uh, time tonight. And yeah, so what I want to say is, um, I mean, I like being a clinician. And I just want to encourage every medical student or doctor who is uh, that if being a clinician is what you really want, that's fine. Continue. I mean, but you just have to decide on what specialty you want. So there's something about what you think is your ideal specialty and what is actually the specialty that will give you the life of your dreams. So think think about it. Make up your mind. Um, don't let, you know, how uh, classism in medicine places some specialties above the others. And it doesn't really matter at the end of the day where you find fulfillment and the fulfillment might be you being comfortable living a comfortable life, living the life of your dreams. So decide on what you want and start working towards it on time. And I just want to say, if you want to practice abroad, it's good for you to start early. Start early, get all the information you need, start putting resources to get that money and materials you need to study. Decide on what country you want to go. And then, you know, stop pursuing it. Uh, impossibility is really nothing. That's nothing you can't do. You know, even from medical school, you can start preparing and getting all your, uh, getting your mind prepared. And to be honest, there's a beautiful life out here. You might just be going through stress in medical school. It's nothing compared to, uh, I would say the doctors are not paid that much for. It's better, it's better than where you are if you really want to, to, to practice, especially abroad. And for people who want to go into alternative careers as well, abroad, especially in the UK, what our advice is, you might not agree with me, but somehow try and get your GMS registration, you know? It's just a life, a lifeline. Try and do your PLAB exam. So you want to go through the membership of Royal College, do that as well. Just get that license and just keep on the side. You might need it one day. And there are some roles as well that you need to have a GMS registration before you can apply for them. So it's not a waste. You might be paying your ass to practice and do all of that. But if you can, it's not compulsory, but it's just to open your options, you know? And yeah, I just want to tell you that it's fun. It's fun out here. It might not be, there are countries that pay you more, but it depends on also how you work. Personally, I'm, I'm living the life of my dreams, to be honest. 
comfortable, working smart, doing things I love to do. And yeah, she can actually do that and even achieve more. So just get your hands dirty and start working and dreaming and believing. Yeah, thank you. Good night. All right, thank you, Pepo, so much. Uh, I'm coming to your DM so that you share small, small money for me. Uh, Shino, over to you, parting words for the audience. All right, um, quick mic check, am I audible? Loud and clear. Okay, um, so thank you for the organizing of this space. I think it was very insightful. I really learned from a lot of people. And for those that are in medical school, what I would say is, We'll try and enjoy medical school. I would like to say medical school is a bit stressful, but there are healthy ways of coping with stress. Don't bottle all of your emotions out there. Talk out, speak out, when you need help, reach out, you understand? Don't let it, um, you know, um, box you into one color. And like you said today, there are no opportunities. So um, I, I'm, when I was in medical school, I, mean, I did not have all this horizon you know, of the and stuff you could do outside medicine. But now that you are um, hearing this, it's good you actually find passion. And, and, and for everyone here has been able to share a bit of what works for them and all of that to try and understand yourself. I know you are a unique person. Your pathway is unique to you. Don't let people, these people's experience, people's successes make you them. your story is different find your story find your path and do what you like to do and also I just would say that um, try and climb on the shoulders of people that have gone before you I would always emphasize the spirit of mentorship I did that it worked for me I think it's something you can also do if you find someone that you think you like or maybe you something about send them a DM Connect with them. The worst they will reply your DM. It kills no one. You understand? Normalize sending DM. Send that DM. You understand? Reach out. Connect with them. You understand? It's all a part of networking. So try and, I'm trying to do that. Well, I'm open to connecting with more people. And maybe more of them. I'm very glad to connect with you. Even though I was really talking about my foray into the health tech space, which I may call CEO and co-founder of your health tech style. But I um, and hopefully one of these days will also still touch on that. So I just want you to also believe that your mind is very powerful and whatever you set your mind to do, do it well and be the best at it. Whether you're in Nigeria, whether in UK, whether in US, just make sure you're solving problems. Trust me, wherever you are, if you're solving problems, people will pay you for solving problems. I don't believe that. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Shino. That was quite powerful and um, motivational too. Uh, Dr. Barry, I'll hand over to you. Parting words before I wrap up for the night. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, so... Oh, what would I say? I think I think Shina said basically what I wanted to say. But I mean, maybe from my own point of view, dream hard, like dream hard, and walk towards that dream. Um, think outside the box. I mean, a lot of us Nigerians just sit down and like, okay, sometimes people just come to my team like, um, um, how do I how do I travel abroad? I mean, all of this information is. Is out there if they if they say 
if they ask you who, who is winning BPM now, you, you go and search to know who won and what the person said. But to get this kind of information, people don't want to sit down to search for them, right? At the point in time, I wanted to relocate to, to Dubai to practice there. And I sat down to research for two weeks how to get it done, ask questions. I opened up a group, a Telegram group, and I got more than 1,500 doctors already there asking the same questions. And I mean, I could have turned into consultancy stuff and start making money from it, simply because some people refuse to sit down to ask, to, to research basic things. So research, research. I mean, um, like um, like Dr. Shadi has said, right? Um, in the clinical trials, there's so many, there are so many things one one can do. And sometimes I just sit down, even if I have a job, I just go and search, look out for what jobs are out there now. And I and I scope them like, hmm, okay, this rule, this rule, like hmm, that's rule, that rule. Okay, this is what is coming up more. Okay, maybe do I need to what do they ask for? And if I want to build a career towards that goal, I start trying to make sure I meet those requirements, basically, right? So um, these things are out there. Just go out, research, try to find information. Information is key, it's priceless. Try to find information and you would not regret it. And then what else did I want to say? You need to have focus. You need to have focus. You need to know where you need to, if I ask many of us here, where, where do you want to be in the next five years? Some people don't even know. They don't even, they just leave life to chance. If you leave life to chance, life will leave you to chance. Anything can just happen to you. So you need to really have a focus. Where do you want to be and how do you want to go there, right? So these are the, the things that um, that's, would, would take you there. I, I had to ask myself, Okay, I was going through some of my documents from my previous company, and I remember that in 2021, I wrote my five-year plan by it. It was holistic, it was a rich picture, and I put all of the places how I planned that I was going to be a manager, a senior manager within five years. This is the second year, and I said I was going to be married and have the kids. Within two years, all of many of the many of the, the points that I was already planning have they've already worked. Like they, they were already because I wrote something down, you know, it's like it's like Habakkuk. He said, What's that vision? He said, write it down, make it plain, make it simple. What do you want to do? Where do you want to be? If you check my 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 um my my feed, you see that in my in my final year when I write my yearbook, I've already put there that in ten years I'm going to get an MBA. Final year med school, and exactly ten years later, I I finished my MBA. I wrote it down. When you write it down, you speak. This thing starts working. So this is the Christian or the Muslim or whatever dimension you're into, whatever you believe in. The the air has ears. The this the the, the soil has ears. They hear you. They, they swing into action once you say then the cells in your body starts working towards that direction. So you need to find us, find access. So where do you want to be in the next two years? If you say you want to go to the UK in the next two years, Omar, then that means you're not buying any car this year. You're not doing, you're not spending any nonsense, you're not spending money anyhow. You're reading about how to get it done. You're preparing for plab. You're doing you just need to have that focus. You need to have that focus. I think maybe I'll stop there. And, and allow you to, to run the run, run 
Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Barry. It's been a quite um, insightful three hours plus. So now it's like three hours, 22 minutes on this space and tomorrow is work. So we don't want to keep people uh, longer than they, they should be. Again, conscious of the fact that a lot of people have got questions, but we are sorry that we can't take more questions, but we are still going to have this conversation another time. So just do well to follow Dr. Barry, follow most of the speaker so that you get notified when we fix the next um, episode of this um, space. And again, just like Dr. Barry said, I mean, I think the next steps, a lot has been revealed on this space in terms of different opportunities, both within and outside um, healthcare, health tech space. So next steps is just for you to get clarity as to where you think you're heading to get busy and start working towards your destination those who are thinking of travel uh waka waka doctor does a lot of videos on you know travel so you can just follow his channel whatever country you're heading to i think all of that information is really out there for you guys to grasp i mean for me key takeaway points i mean i've learned a lot there's project management there's medical monitoring associates there's medical writing there's healthcare influencing there's medical affairs, there's clinical research associates, there's clinical project specialists, there's um, clinical trial managers, there's change management. So there's a whole lot that we can actually do outside medicine. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to talk about health informatics. Well, maybe next um, space, I'll probably talk about that because I mean, there are over 30 different roles you can actually do with a degree in health informatics, but that's conversation for another space. And um, so thank you guys for sticking around to the end of this space. And I really hope this has been a very productive use of your three hours this um, Sunday and evening, and uh, hope that fires you up to pursue your dreams, whatever they are. And, um, yeah, that's it for me from this side. So I'll probably leave this space on for a few seconds so that we can just connect with each other. Follow all the speakers, follow everybody who are on this space. Um, our DMs are open, though we might not always reply on time. But again, feel free to send the DMs and we can reply whenever we can. We are always happy to support people to, you know, I mean, make your own journey shorter, really. You need to leverage the experience of people who have gone before you. And um, yeah, I see some of our bigger guys on the space, Anna Lowe and the rest of them, maybe another space uh, will bring you guys up. And uh, that's it for me. So till we come your way again, uh, I'm still your host, Dr. Ron, and uh, I'll say bye for now. So it may be a minute, I'll shut down the space. So just take your time to connect with other people and we'll see you some other time. Bye.
We have come to the end of another captivating episode of Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron, and I hope it has left you inspired and enlightened. The dedication, compassion, and expertise showcased by these unsung heroes of healthcare deserve our utmost admiration and gratitude. We want to extend our heartfelt appreciation to all healthcare professionals who work tirelessly day and night to provide exceptional care to patients. Your selflessness and unwavering commitment to improving lives are what makes the healthcare system truly remarkable. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Your feedback is invaluable and helps us continue bringing you engaging stories from the heart of healthcare. In the coming episodes, we'll continue to explore diverse roles and contributions of healthcare workers, share more inspiring stories of resilience and innovation. We'll also delve into critical topics such as healthcare disparities, mental health in the medical profession, and the future of healthcare technologies. We will also tell patient stories as we have realized they are the reasons why we do the work that we do. If you have a story you'd like us to feature, a healthcare professional you'd like us to highlight, or a patient stories that you would like us to tell, we'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on social media or through our website, or better still, drop us an email and let's continue the conversation. Remember, Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron is not just a podcast. It is a celebration of the remarkable individuals who form the backbone of our healthcare system. Join us on this journey as we shine a light on the invaluable work they do, often with little recognition, but with boundless impact on patient lives. Thank you for being part of the community and for supporting Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron. Together, let's amplify the voices of healthcare workers and patients and ultimately celebrate the unseen efforts that drive the heart of healthcare. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and stay connected. Take care, and I'll see you soon in another episode of Behind the Scenes in Health with Dr. Ron. Bye for now.